Oh, David Smith, how's your week been? Boring, probably. Yeah, it's nothing going on. It's just the beginning of fall. <laughs> Things are quiet. You know, the leaves are turning. Feet up on the ottoman. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's me. They're like, it's it's just finally cool enough that I can get a fire going in the fireplace and I can sit on the, you know, just sit by the fire and read a casual book or Did, something like that. Dig into a long novel that you've been yeah. saving up for a while. <laughs> or the opposite of that. I think well, the, the scene we just described is the exact opposite of how it's the last week has been in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that always the truth, though? I mean, I know it's like the, it's like a, the human condition where yeah. if you had released new apps and it didn't seem to go anywhere, went over like a lead balloon, you would think, wouldn't it be great if one of these apps had been a hit? Wouldn't it be great? Yeah. And now that your app is a hit, wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be great to just... <laughs> Have a sit week by the fire. <laughs> sit by the fire. <laughs> so as we record this episode on Tuesday the 29th, it'll be out tomorrow, probably the 30th. Uh, the top downloaded free app, top app right now in the app store is your app, Widget Smith. Yes. And it has been the top app since Friday the 18th. So about a week and a half ago. So it's been at the top of the list for a week and a half. I think there's a good yeah. chance it'll be still be at the top of the list tomorrow when this comes out. Congratulations. In all seriousness, joking aside, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been completely surreal. Like it's one of those weird <laughs> places where like it's it's not like this is the one of those situations either where like I just started doing this and then it like took off in a wild way. Like I've been doing making apps in the app store since the beginning. Like since twelve years ago, essentially, and like it's like I've seen this happen to other people, and it's always like, oh, that's nice. I wonder what that's like. And you never really ever actually think that it's the kind of thing that would actually happen to you. And like to actually be in a be in a position where, you know, I made something that's sitting at the top of the charts and has you know remained there. Um, it was, was certainly never the plan or the expectation, but is kind of surreal to uh, be the situation I find myself in now. So I made the joke. Uh not even a joke. I, it's a humorous observation that it was my teenage son who came to me like shortly after the release of iOS 14. So all right, you've been number one since the 18th. That's a Friday, yeah. you said. And iOS 14 came out uh, famous. Wednesday, I believe. Yeah, famously, because the event was a Tuesday. And then yeah. it, <laughs> we, had, we, I say we, I don't have an app, so it's not even yeah. really me. I'm, I'm using the royal we here. You yeah. developers had something like 21 hours or something like that. Yeah. Um, and realistically, it was less than that even because we had to submit, get through app review, and then like right. be ready for the apps when iOS like was actually released the following afternoon. Right. So it was like, I, I, you know, I think I had my, my, my like submissions made within maybe about four hours of yep. the event going up. So, uh, were, so you were, you're, you had your submission in the queue four hours after the, the, yeah. the announcement. Yeah. So luck favors the prepared. Um, yeah. um, I do think, so let's just say, so I, my son came to me and this is like, Probably around the time that it hit the number one on the charts, maybe like by the weekend, where it was like, yeah. hey, have you heard about these iOS 14 widgets? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, have you heard about this app, Widgetsmith? <laughs> and I had this in a footnote. I was like, yes, I have. And in fact, and then he just rolled his eyes. Uh, I was going to tell him away. how I knew you and you're a swell guy. And <laughs> doesn't care. Yeah, I didn't really care. thought maybe he had me. 
I think. Yeah. And somebody on Twitter was like, "Does how often does your son think he can sneak something iOS related by you?" And I said, "Actually, more often than you'd think, because he thinks that I only follow the boring stuff, and that he yeah. he can alert me to when something actually interesting happens." Sure. <laughs> or maybe he was sad that you hadn't told him already. Yeah, like, maybe. Why didn't, you, why didn't you give him a heads up? This was coming. He could have been the cool kid on the block who knew right. it before anyone else did. Uh, it's, you know, I, I say it's, it is surprising, right? Like you did not, you, maybe you thought you had something, right? Did what, what were you thinking? So the, it, widget Smith is obviously an all new thing because you, it, it's entirely predicated on a feature that only exists in iOS 14. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, widget Smith is in many ways, like the, like the spiritual successor to another app that I made, um, and launched in the spring called WatchSmith, which was an app all about making custom complications for the Apple watch. And, and sort of when I made that, that sort of, that, that sort of that app launched and it did reasonably well, but nothing like it didn't like, you know, set the world on fire or anything. It was just like, it was a power, it was like a niche tool for power users, essentially was the way that I have it in my mind and the way that it kind of manifested itself in the market as a result. Um, and when widgets were announced and I was like, okay, like I have a lot of the infrastructure in place for how you would build an app that does this kind of thing where a complication and a widget are functionally and even programmatically very similar in sort of concept. And so I was like, well, let's just take the, you know, take what I built there and put it into widgets um, and kind of see what happens. And uh, if I'm being completely honest, my expectation was that my like my personal goal was that Widget Smith's sort of downloads and subscriber base and everything would be about half of WatchSmith, <laughs> um, and that was what I was going into with because I thought it was like well this is like a power user feature like dial like who who's going to want these like power user widgets on their on their phone like on the watch at least it's like a thing that you know that like the complication system is really limited but on your phone people are everyone's going to use the widgets that come with the apps that they use that why would they use mine you know if they're like my calendar widget versus apple's calendar widget or my photo widget versus apple's photo widget and so i had no expectations for it and it was just something that I was like, well, I'm in the place that I can do this. Like, I have the infrastructure, I have the code, I know what I'm doing enough that it's not a crazy ask. And so I launched it with sort of no expectations. And like the initial first, the first few days before it really kind of blew up, like blew up was, you know, sort of fulfilling my expectations. It was like, this is kind of, it's finding its niche. I had some good feedback and was like amongst the people who are very power usery and care a lot about you know, very particular things. And that was what I was expecting. And that's kind of where I was expecting it would go. And it would just cruise along, you know, less than some, a lot of my other apps, but just, you know, part of the portfolio. And that's great. Um, like I had absolutely no expectation that it would take off in the way that it did. And, um, it came as a complete surprise and is still like something that I can only sort of like some, every now and then I just like open the app store and just like scroll down to make sure that it's actually real. <laughs> like, like this isn't some big con that like is being played, like played on me because I, I had no expectation of it and it, yet it seems to be true. It seems to be actually what's happening in the world right now. It is interesting. It's an interesting comparison because famously, and I would like to talk about the watch stuff separately. So we'll, we'll come back to this, uh, you know, in a somewhat organized fashion that this show usually proceeds. But <laughs> there is a, a, so famously six years in, seven years in, I guess, what are we with the watch? I guess 
six years since it was announced, and we're at I yeah, it's six or seven years. I mean, it's the Series Seven watch, so presumably yeah. that's no the, Series the Six. Seven. Series, I have to oh, say it slowly, six, so as not to trigger our friend the electronic sure. widget. <laughs> yes, Series Six watch, Watch OS Seven. So it's the sixth year. Um, yeah. Famously, which is where I'm going, is uh, we don't get custom watch faces. No. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine named Marco Arment who's – are you familiar with Marco? I am familiar with his work. Okay, so Marco uh, is a watch nerd and is also very fussy about things, and he complains endlessly about Apple's built-in watch faces. Um, it, it, I think that's a long story. Why can't apps just make their own faces, period? Why with – you know, if we have – and we keep hearing these numbers with all this, the lawsuits with Epic and stuff like that, that there's, I don't know, 100,000 apps going through the App Store a week, and there's over a million in the store of, you know, let's just pick a category, calculators, right? If you yeah. tried to use every single iOS calculator, um, it, I, I, there's got to be hundreds of them, maybe thousands. I don't know. Yeah. Um, of varying degrees of design quality. Why aren't watch faces the same way? Why aren't there thousands, tens of thousands of watch faces? Why can't the Dallas Cowboys have an app where you can have a custom Dallas Cowboys watch face, etc.? Yeah. Uh, you can't. That's just not the way watch faces work. And uh, a couple of years ago, they've added, they began adding complications, which is sort of the closest apps get to being able to be on watch faces. Right, but yeah. even there, it's sort of you're you're playing within these very limited confines, right? It's not really like you have a complete canvas to no. write on. No, I mean we you, you at, the, at the, depends on and it depends a lot on the watch face, and like that's where it gets really like crazy making on the watch is some of the watch faces you have a reasonably big canvas, like on some of the modular faces where you have like a big rectangular block that right. you know you can pretty much take over the face with but on some on most of them you get a little like you know teeny little circle that you have to put your entire complication into and so it's really not there's only so much that you can do within that amount of space you know we're talking about i don't even know if it's like 50 pixels by 50 pixels or like open up or points i guess but it's like it's a very small space that you actually have to do to play with. And so you're definitely not creating a custom watch face. Like at the most, you're just creating a custom way to display some kind of data there right? or some kind of information. And so in addition to the very limited set of rules that you have to confines, you have to play within visually. Um, you also, I don't know if that you have to, I guess, I don't know what the rules like. So there's also a wide variety of, and again, I'm I'm laughing because I don't have to make all the complications, but there are a very wide variety of complication sizes, right? And then like yes. upper left corner can be different than upper right corner because, you know, on some of the watch faces, they curve to fit the corner. Yeah. Um, different sizes and joy of joys, there's actually two entirely different sets of watch uh, sizes. There's the old yeah. series one or zero through three size with the square corners. And then starting with series four a couple years ago now, the four, five, six. And it, it turns out, uh, 
much to the consternation of developers such as yourself, Series 3 remains in the lineup at 199 And so therefore, you can look forward to years and years of supporting those extra complication sizes. Yeah. In addition to that, there are rules about how often, it, it, not even rules really, it's sort of all up in the air. How often does the camp complication update? So a complication, the way the complication system works is you provide like a timeline of information you want to display on it. And you can update that, You can when you create the timeline, you can have things as often as once per minute. So I can create, and you can create uh, up to a hundred of those. So I, at, if I'm at one minute by minute sort of accuracy, I can create a hundred minutes of things that will be, dis- will be shown on the, the display. Um, and then I can update or change what my timeline is maybe every 15 to 20 minutes if the battery's full. And if the battery starts to run down, then who knows what? And right. it'll just sort of, the watch will get to your update um, or your request for an update whenever it feels um, like it's appropriate, which may or may not be um, anytime soon. Right. And so this is, is just a microcosm, but this watch complication situation is sort of a microcosm of the modern era of developing third-party software where yeah. the rules aren't exactly defined. Like there, no. there might have been before in the old days something where, you know, you could write software for X, some some sort of component, and you can't just update constantly. You only get a sliver of time, but that time would be determinate. You would know once a second, or even if it's once a minute, once a minute, you will get a slice of time. You can update, and you can count on it. Every minute on the minute, you're going to do this. Maybe you'll know. Maybe you could say, hey, I don't need to do it on the minute. Everybody might want to do it on a minute. You could just update me, say, uh, 15 seconds after every minute. You know, Do me yeah. at the 15-second mark. But then every minute at 15 seconds after the minute, your, your whatever it is would get up. Widgets uh, or complications on the watch aren't like that. They're no. sort of indeterminate, and the system manages it, and you just sort of... <laughs> raise your head hand and make a request. I would yeah. like to update on this period. And the watch is like, okay, we'll, we'll deal take with it under advisement. We'll take it under advisement. And they're trying, you know, the, the, the intentions aren't hostile towards users. They're no. the, you know, you can, I was going to say towards developers or users. I'll just say towards users and, you know, However hostile it is towards developers, it's in the mindset of doing what's best for the users, which is to extend battery life and you know manage this sort of calculus of well, let's let these things update as often as possible while also maximizing battery life, which is a very complicated calculus, and therefore they don't reveal the formula. Yeah. And they want to have, and I think it's different on different devices. Like I think on a Series 3 Apple Watch, and part of why I'm so sad that it's still there, like a Series 3 Apple Watch with its CPU and its performance characteristics and its battery life, I think it will have a different recipe than what a brand new, um, you know, sort of top of the line Apple Watch is going to be able to do. Like there's a wide variety there and I just have to kind of code my thing so that it's flexible as much as I can between those with kind of no expectation of when I'll actually um, be able to do do what I want to do. Right. And that's sort of where, at a hardware level, watch Apple Watch is going, right? Because 
Yes, famously, when the watch first came out, apps were very slow. And that was yes. really, really more of a watch kit problem where the third-party APIs were really, really rubbish, uh, to put it mildly. And and, yeah. and in hindsight, what's the well, why were they so bad? And I think it basically... Again, you're never get, we're never going to get a real explanation from Apple because Apple never explains itself. But I think it's pretty obvious that the basic idea was we can't open up the real APIs that Apple itself was using for the built-in apps because either they're not ready, they're not up to our standards, or we can't trust third parties with these APIs to manage energy the way we are internally. So yeah. the APIs, the real ones, we can't open but apps, quote unquote, apps are so super important to iPhone and iPad. We need apps for Apple Watch. And so there yeah. was this push and pull where one side is saying we can't open up the real APIs for battery life and whatever other reasons, but we have to have apps on the, for lack of a better word, marketing side. Okay, we'll make this other set of APIs uh, <laughs> that we can yeah. trust them with. And they were really slow. But even, let's just say, get, go up to Series 3, just the basics and, and the, the APIs got better. People don't typically think of their watch as fast or slow anymore, right? Like what no. you want to do on your watch is fast. So all of the uh, improvements to the chips aren't in the it's always been an issue with battery operated devices, laptops to phones to tablets, you know, to manage efficiency over time, both with increasing performance because you want to do some things faster and whatever, but also using the efficiency to extend battery life. With a watch, it's really all about battery life. Yeah. I mean, I think it's clear that that's the the gating factor for any new thing that Apple is trying to do on the Apple Watch is defined by the battery. And because the batteries in the Apple Watch are just so much smaller yep. physically, like there's only so much space you have if you're going to strap something to your wrist to try and squeeze battery into. And so, and all of the features and all of the things that they're trying to do have to also work on a device where it's inconvenient for it to run out of battery in a way that yeah. is like is it feels more manifest than it is on with, with, with even with your like your laptop like if you're if you're if i'm sitting with, at my laptop and i'm working and i'm running xcode and it's you know churning through my battery and i'm like oh man i need to plug in i just plug in and it's fine but if i have to do that with my apple watch i have to take my apple watch off right. and put it on a put it on a dock and i can't wear it for 45 minutes and it completely like eliminates the use of it i mean even a phone like the number of times I've used my phone plugged in because it was low on battery, but I still wanted to use it. Like, that's fine. But yeah. a watch, it has to work. And ideally, it has to work for at least, whatever, 18 hours a day. Right. And like, do you, if you recall, uh, back in the old days when we had airports, it would often be a common sight to see somebody camped by a wall yeah. outlet using their phone while it's plugged in. And yeah. and the other, uh, I'm, try, I'm trying to avoid the puns with the word complicating, but. I, I'm going to go ahead. Complicating factor with the watch is the the health tracking features of the watch. Once you get hooked on them as a user, you feel like you're yeah. getting robbed. Like if you have to take your yeah. watch off and put it on the charger for 45 minutes, and while you're doing so, you are standing and moving around, you're, you feel like you're getting robbed of 
stand hours and exercise time. Yeah. Or even worse is the situation where like you go for a run or a workout or something and you go, you know, you run three or four miles and it runs out of battery on when you're like a quarter mile from the house. Yeah. And it's like, it'll save the data sort of, but it, it feels like you're being robbed. Like these steps didn't count. These calories aren't being counted towards my, you know, my red ring. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely like you feel personally affronted if you if you aren't getting credit for the things that you're earning or you feel like you're earning when you're wearing your Apple Watch for sure. Yeah. And I've had that happen. It's a, not for a while cuz because battery life has gotten better in the last yeah. few years, but I've had that happen during a workout like on a jog where that's when it's run out and it it feels like triply uh, angering, right? Yeah. So it's like I was running. I was actually out jogging. I'm sweaty. I really need yeah. deserve those credits. Yeah. And, and it's and it's it's not there. And right. I mean, I think to their credit, certainly, like it's, they've done a great job of preserving that battery life. Right. But it's come at a, a very it's a very tricky balance that they right. have to try and balance right. and find how much power, how much capability, how much like utility can they put on the watch while still doing all these things. And I think also the thing that's crazy with the Apple Watch and that and the battery life side is how it is constantly doing things. Like mm. it is always trying to make like, did you just fall down? Did you just fall down? Did you just fall down? Like it's ma- monitoring you, you know, 24, as long as you're wearing the watch, it's doing that. It's taking your heart rate, you know, once every six minutes, it's doing stuff persistently in a way that, you know, it certainly did. It doesn't come free. So it's not like a situation where, you know, I, I, I close my laptop lid and it pretty much just goes to sleep yeah. and is it's not doing anything like the Apple watch, if anything is just as, you know, is, is other than the screen being lit up, um, is doing just as much most of the time, um, than it would be, um, when you are actually actively interacting with it. Yeah. Are you washing your hands? What about now? Are you washing now? Yeah. What about now? Nope. Yeah. doesn't seem like it. Nope. Yeah. What about now? Um, so anyway, that's a long di- digression to come back to what my main point is, which is that one way to think about, iOS 14 widgets is that they are very much like watch complications uh, insofar as there are limited sizes. Um, yeah. There are some serious limitations on, well, I, effectively they're mostly inter, non-interactive. Like you can't make buttons that do things on widgets. They're they're sort of like information panels, which again is a lot like watch complications. Yeah. Um they they kind of update on the system's schedule, right? Yep. They do. I mean it's it, pretty much everything we just said about watch complications applies to iOS 14 yeah. widgets. Um I guess the sizes are easier to deal with, right? Where you just yeah. sort of have, you know, they're just set Icon sizes, you know, a one icon size versus, you know, uh, a row of icons. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and sizing is a bit funny with widgets because there's three different types, like a small, medium, and a large. But the actual size that each of those are vary wildly between which phone you actually have or if you're on an iPad. Like mm. if you have an iPhone SE, um, the size of the widget is different than if you're looking at that widget on 
you know, a 10 R or yeah. one of the larger screen, like it's, you know, there's certainly, I think there's like six different sizes that like actual point sizes yeah. that they have, but yeah. it certainly is easier because you have so much more of a margin yeah. that like, you're not trying to squeeze something into the difference between 44 points and 50 points. You're, tra- you're talking about the difference between 170 points and 179 points or something. Like it's much, that difference matters a lot less. Yeah. Um, but it, there's certainly still that, you know, there is certainly a variety you have to accommodate for. I do not want to go too deep down this digression and famous last words for me. But one of the things I've been doing all summer is I've been running iOS 14 betas. And still now with the release version, I'm running it on an iPhone XR. And yeah. my regular phone, my main phone that I've used for the last year is an iPhone 11 Pro. And the difference between the pro and the other what you know and it, the iPhone 10 wasn't called the iPhone 10 pro but the OLED yeah. ones uh which are now called pro run at retina 3x yeah and the 10R and the regular iPhone 11s which aren't OLED they're regular LCD um run at 2x retina but the difference when you really dig into the point size, you know, like, oh, well, that means one point is two pixels on the 2X one and one point is three pixels on the other one. But the actual difference in sizes is really kind of wild. Like if you run both phones at their default sizes, like accessibility wise for text size, just don't bump up or bump down the text size at all. Run everything at sort of the the default, and don't you know if you if you're running on one of the phones that has scaling available, don't set scaling to anything. the The difference in sizes of text between the two is quite different. It, it's very. It's not like oh, you have to sort of be a type nerd to notice that it's no. It's like actually very different. Um, and yeah. for I, something like widgets, it I can see exactly where you're where you're going with that. Yeah, like it's a very. I think and it's it's because it speaks to just it's the difference of two X and three X, but it isn't that the three X screen has a resolution has a sort of a dots per inch right. on the screen that is commensurately de- more detailed. It's, it's it's higher, but it's not like if 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 one X was the thing and then we doubled the resolution, you know, doubled the resolution and then we tripled the resolution. It isn't actually doing those 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 changes, and so controls definitely look different and you know like it feels very different like I, I actually was in the same circumstance like my testing uh phone over the summer was a, a 10r and it like going from that back to my 11 pro feels really like even the key, like the keyboard is slightly different mm-hmm. like it's not like things are totally yeah. out of whack <laughs> but it's like i i feel different it, it, like things are just a little bit weird in a way that when we when we went from the 1x to 2x originally like with the iPhone 4 it really was it like it it was like everything stayed the same size everything just got sharper right whereas now between 2x and 3x it's definitely that's not the case it's it's things are physically different like the you know the 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 actual size of something that's 100 points tall is very different between the different devices and the phones and so you know and all these things that i have to you sort of when you're designing something that has to work across all of them it has to be you know be reasonable at all the extremes of that even if at a point level you're exactly the same yeah and it actually is counterintuitive where the 3x ones the point size is physically bigger and so like 16 point type is the default text size on iOS. It always has been 16 point type is bigger on an iPhone 
11 Pro than 16 point type on an iPhone 11. Physically yeah. bigger. And you therefore get, it's not just that the iPhone 11 has a bigger screen than the non-Max 11. It's actually packs the pixels or the points in more. So you get like significantly more lines or, or words on a line in an email or an Apple note than when you're viewing the exact same email or Apple note on the other device. And you would think maybe it would be the other way. Cause you think, well, it's three X. So it must be, they must have more pixels per inch too, but it's actually different. And it's all very yeah. strange and so different from the old days where you could just count on an iPhone screen being an iPhone screen. And like you said, even when they went retina, you just kept everything the same physical size and just, doubled the resolution and made everything sharper. Yeah, it went from like it was 324 by 480, I think was the original yeah. iPhone. And then it's just like when they went to 2X, they just doubled that right. and kept the screen exactly the same size. Right. And then even when they went when they with the iPhone 5, when they went to a different aspect ratio, they just yeah. added pixels at the top. They didn't change the size of anything. They just, uh, you know, so the keyboard was actually the exact same width. It just, yeah. you know. Just they just added pixels at the top. Now we're in a new world. All right, let me take a break before we continue and talk about our friends at Eero. Oh man, these days your house isn't just your home; it's everything. It's your office. It's your school. It's your podcast studio. It's a movie theater. It's a restaurant. It's my house is all those things right now. Literally, right at this moment today. Um. Anyway, all of these activities they put a strain on your Wi-Fi. It's not good. If your Wi-Fi doesn't reach every room in your house, or even worse, if it only reaches a room or two, you need solid Wi-Fi in your whole house. Eero is an Amazon company, and they their whole product line is set up to solve this problem. They cover your whole home with fast, reliable Wi-Fi inside and out, and it's super easy to set up. You got rooms with bad Wi-Fi or no Wi-Fi dropouts in certain rooms. Eero can help make every square foot, foot of your home usable. Uh it's really great. You're listening to me speak right now over a Neuro Wi-Fi connection. Uh, you just plug one into your modem. You plug other ones in around your house. Their app is how you configure everything. And the app has always been great, but it's really gotten better in the last year. It's a total rewrite. It's even better than ever. And it has all sorts of amazing features where you can see what every single device in your home that's connected to your network is doing. And you can manage the ones. You can like take your kids' devices and put them on a certain plan so that they can't get on the Wi-Fi after certain times. And it's all this stuff that sounds like advanced features. They, the app makes it super, super easy to manage. But the app also is the thing that makes it easy to add other Eero base stations around your house. Uh, their website can make it really, really easy to figure out how many you should order based on the size of your house and how many floors you have, et cetera. Uh, and it really is just a great service. They also just this week came out with all new base stations that I think it's the version six or something like that. Just go to their website. You'll find out all the details on the new hardware that they have. Go to, here's the website to go to Eero, E-E-R-O dot com slash the talk show, Eero dot com slash the talk show and use that same code, the talk show at checkout and you will get free Next day shipping with your order. So as you, you could just pause this podcast right now, spend 15 minutes, order up some Eero stuff, and it'll be at your house tomorrow. That's, that's amazing. With that code, Eero.com slash the talk show, get free next day shipping. Go check them out. I recommend it. I would recommend them even if they were not a sponsor of the show. It's a great product. Um, 
All right. So you've had, do you think, here's, here's another angle I've been going with. Do you think you would have had the idea for Widget Smith if you hadn't already done Watchsmith? That is a, that is an interesting question. I, I, I don't think it would have ended up in the same way that I did, that it did ultimately it did. Cause the thing that happened with Watchsmith that I, like my goal with that app was to try and make essentially like let people make their watch faces like their own. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted you to be able to control the typefaces, the colors, the data, how it was structured, how it was laid out. Like there's tremendous amount of like, especially on the watch, it was something that I started to notice is that like, I got really picky about exactly how I wanted things to look in a way that I care about more on my wrist because it's something that's, I mean, it's, it's funny, it's a bit of a cliche to say like it's a fashion thing, but mm-hmm. it's like something I want to look good. Like I, I actually care, like if I'm going to have the date or the temperature shown on my watch face and I'm like going out to a nice, you know, going out to a nice dinner back when that was the thing we did and I want it to look nice. Like I'm, you know, I'm wearing my Apple watch rather than my, my fancy watch because I want to, you know, I'm going to close my rings, but right. <laughs> I want it to look just the way I want it to look. And I think the result of that, of that sort of that ultimate desire that in, in the watch, I was so pers- like, I got so specific about it is that I went through probably like five or six different editor screens of how can I make this something that isn't like totally intractable to a common user. Um, that is actually, that is a clear, straightforward, like way that I can create this complexity and give you so much choice and let you choose the typeface and let you choose the colors and let you choose exactly what is shown and what's shown here and what time it's like appearing on your screen and all of the things that ultimately like Watchsmith ended up being, it was be it was that, that level of sort of sophistication that I needed to f- squeeze into something that was usable was something I don't know if I would have had the time or the sort of idea about with widgets um, if I hadn't gone through that for the watch because the watch is so much more constrained and every little thing and every little tweak that adjustment that you make um, mattered so much more there so that when I was doing it and applying it to widgets it made sense to just carry it over like I'd come up with a design that I feel like made a lot of sense and was intuitive and gave you that balance between power and flexibility um, that you know, sort of applied immediately and directly to widgets. And so, but if I hadn't, if I hadn't sort of just have gone through all that process with Watchsmith and with complications in mind, it would have been hard for me to come up with it for something like widgets, where I feel like in my mind anyway, originally it's like, I think that San Francisco rounded is the best widgets font Mm. probably. Like, I think it is, it just looks gorgeous on the home screen, I think. And there's a very good chance that I would have just sort of asserted that and set that as the default. Um, even if I'd had the idea for an app like widget Smith and said like, that's that, that I think, I think that just looks gorgeous. And I would have missed out on the fact that while that is gorgeous. And I think if, you know, if I'm Alan Dye sitting in my white studio designing widgets for Apple's built in apps, that's probably what I'm going to use. The reality is once I had my mind opened to the fact that it's like, well, what app, like what other fonts are there? What other fonts would look interesting and how can I add them into the application? Then you start to be like, actually, this is where the real magic starts to happen, that you can make it look like it isn't just an Apple widget, that it isn't I'm not like there, there's a value and a utility in standing out from the system in potentially even being slightly 
like conflicting with the the way the system would just look. That that is that 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 is a benefit and not a drawback. Um, that's you know, and some of like and well, why the app originally seems like it really took off was because oh, that was the case that I be, and it created it had so much flexibility and it had so much choice in it that you could really ex- like people felt like they could actually express themselves with it that they could find a font that suited them. And if you were a San Francisco rounded person, like great. That more power to you. But if you're a New York person, or if you're, you want some kind of the, some of the more silly and like esoteric fonts that I have in there or whatever that might be, like, great. <laughs> like, you, th- do that. If that makes you happy that every time you pick up your phone, you want it to look like that. Um, but I really don't think I would have necessarily had the sort of the expectation or the imagination to invent this if I hadn't had to do it. Um, for the watch, if I hadn't had to do that for complications because they felt like a fashion item, they felt like something that had to have that level of customization anyway. Mm. Um, and in there, I wasn't competing with, um, other text most of the time. Then a lot of the, a lot of the watch faces, it's just clock hands. And so a lot of fonts, I feel like look good on the Apple watch in a way that, or feel at home anyway, on the Apple watch in a way that, um, that isn't quite the same on an iPhone because there's so much other system text that's always on the screen as well. Mm. I, yeah, that's an interesting answer. I, I, I could see that. And, and there was definitely something where you were playing around with custom watch faces, even though it's not something you can do. Like, it's not like Apple lets apps do it but you were playing around with with it anyway knowing that it wasn't something that you could ship as a feature in an app but just what if we could let's just play with it and uh Stephen Trouton Smith uh yep. as, you know famed hacker and troublemaker on Twitter <laughs> was was messing around with the same ideas um yeah well he was the one i think he came up with in, in his like spelunking prowess was able to work out a way to hide the system time inside of a watch kit app, um, which is typically not something that's possible that typically there's always the time shown in the top right corner of an right. Apple, of a watch app when it's shown. And he, in his like, you know, I have no idea what code, it, like, you know, he shared the code publicly for how to do it. And it's some kind of weird, you know, you just like dive deep down into the view hierarchy and find this one particular view that happens to be the clock and, you know, make it hidden or whatever it might be. And as soon as he had done that, then it, yeah, it's like, I always spent a good part of, like three or four months just making custom watch faces. Like that was became my hobby to to do. And I yeah, you, you can't publish them. They don't exist. They're just, you know, watch apps. And you can for a while I actually use them as my main watch face because what I would do is if you start a workout inside of, you know, in my little like custom watch face app, um, it would continue, you know, it would remain on the screen even when the app was, you know, you lower your wrist and raise your wrist. If you ever have a workout app running, the workout app is what shows on the screen rather than the clock. Um, and if you turn off the um, high heart rate uh, workout mode, so typically, like typically during a workout, it collects your heart rate like multiple times per second. It's continuous, you know, continuously monitoring. And you can turn that off for power saving reasons. So I would just turn that off and essentially just have you know a, a walking workout running on my wrist um, all day, so I could have my own custom watch face. Right. And I I did that for a few months, and eventually I kind of lost interest because. It felt like it, while I loved making them, I never, you know, no one, no one should be doing what I'm doing with this. Like, it's completely absurd that I'm running a workout the entire day just so that I can have a custom watch face on my Apple Watch. Yeah. But don't you think that doing that exercised certain 
design yeah. muscles in your head because it, it it got you. Uh, I, I I know people like to dunk on Malcolm Gladwell, and he's got that thing with the you know you need ten thousand hours of practice sure. before you get good at anything, and it's you know it, it, he tries to. I, I think the my criticism of him is he tries to make he tries to turn very correct uh, feel of a thing ideas that are true into think of it rules, right? Like yeah. there is no magic 10,000 hours thing, but there is yeah. truth that you get better at what you do. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that, and it, it, oh, it, sure. it, it's easy to forget that. Right. But so you spent all of this time obsessing over making entire watch faces and it surely gave you insight into, Oh, I all of a sudden you realize why Apple does X, Y, and Z yeah. with theirs. It's like, oh, I was always bugged by that, but I now I see why because when I don't do it, it's it stinks, you know. Yeah, and working out how to like, yeah, there's there was definitely a element of you start you don't really understand something until you've like really had to like build it from the ground up and kind of really gone into it and un made all the mistakes and yeah, like made watch faces that look terrible or work out how to like, even the comp simple things that seem simple of like, how do you lay out the numbers on a clock yes. yeah. is incredibly hard. <laughs> and like, how do you make that? Like, cause 12 or like, like 12 and 11 and right. 10 have multiple digits, but they need to look balanced and reasonable next to like the twos and the threes, which don't have that. And the Apple watch is, like, you know, the modern Apple Watches, they're not square, they're oblong. And so you need it to look reasonable and not like, yeah. And, then, and I think to your point, it's that that experience is what ultimately I think made me want to get into complications in a big way and not just view complications. Like I think before I made Watchsmith, complications for me were just kind of a, they were just pure, simple, basic data display. And that's all I ever wanted all I ever use them for. And like the way Apple builds complications is you can use one of Apple's like pre-built templates, um, which are just typically just text for the most part for a lot of them, or at the very, like they're, they're, you can have a stack of text or you can have a gauge with text inside of it um, or those types of like, there's a, a couple of pre-built things. And when I got into Watchsmith, I didn't, I realized I'd learned and like I had an, I had enough of an insight from my experience with the custom watches that it's like I didn't want to just be limited myself to that. And so all of my like all of the well, complications in Watchsmith are actually under the hood rendered as images and just displayed as images. Like I'm just making bitmaps and show and like putting them into the screen because that was the only way that I could give the flexibility and control that I actually wanted. Hmm. Um, and it's because it's the yeah, it's like the control that I I learned I wanted from years of making or from all, you know, from the experience of making uh, custom watch faces and making those mistakes and kind of having that sense of like, you can't actually do cool stuff with this. Like I, that was where I had the first idea for, I wanted to, um, I'm one of my, one of the features of Watchsmith is you can make it that the complication sort of moves around the watch hands as they move. Um, so like the classic thing, if you have the date on your complication and you have the hand of the watch sweep over it, ordinarily it's hidden, which right. is kind of seems silly on a digital watch that I can't read the date right now because it's 315. Right. Like, like that doesn't make any sense. Why? why I, I want to know the date. It's on being displayed, but it's being obscured by this digital hands. Like in a real watch, fair enough. But so, like in Watchsmith, I I move it out of the way. I do the math to work out like where the hand is at any given time, and I just shift the shift it down. And 
you know, in, in, in the system I have, I'm limited because obviously I can't get outside of my circle, but right. it's like, I can do stuff like that, that I just don't think I would have thought of, um, otherwise. And I think, yeah, it's, it, there's definitely an element of, it's, it's not 10,000 hours. Cause I think that rule loses track of how useful that time is, how actual productive, what have you learned from that experience? Cause I could spend 10,000 hours, like make doing bad work and it doesn't make me amazing at work. Um, it's like, it, hopefully you've learned something along the way and I couldn't, you know, in this case, yeah, it's like I did a lot of work on custom watch faces that informed the work I did making custom complications, which then informed my work making custom widgets. Right. It's like, maybe you are a very good graphic designer, you know, and you do things and you've never, but you've never made a business card for somebody. Uh, and you make somebody, somebody says, Hey, I need business cards. You design some business cards for them. Um, you don't need to do 10,000 hours of business cards before you can become as good at designing business cards as you're ever yeah. going to get. You know, you, 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 whatever your skill is as a graphic designer and typographer, you, you can max it out on business cards pretty quickly sure. because it's a very limited, uh, you know, it, it it's a very small complication <laughs> in graphic yeah. design terms, but your first couple of cards aren't going to be great. You're going to realize yeah. that, oh, this text is way too big. Like, wow, the text on a business card needs to be tiny. Oh, that's, yeah. that I would have never thought I need to set eight point type. That eight point type seems like a footnote, but that's really what you need, et cetera. And then you can run into problems like, uh, oh, it, it turns out that business cards get scuffed up, you know, and the corners turn in. You kind of don't want to put anything close to the edge because, uh, you know, people put them in their pocket and then they get all bent up and you kind of want everything in the center, et cetera. Yeah. Um, you, you, but you don't need 10,000 hours, but you do need to make some, you know, yeah. and making entire watch faces can make you a lot better at making complications. Yeah. The other thing that I find interesting about it is that it's, you, you essentially have to suss out the, and I mean you in specific with, with yeah. the idea of apps like Widgetsmith and Watchsmith, you kind of have to suss out the rules as they are. And there's no yeah. point, and this is where I think your personal disposition really is just so perfect for these type of apps where sure you have complaints about what sure. Apple allows and doesn't allow and you'll make them clear. You know, you're not, it's not, you're hiding them, you know, but rather than just bemoan the fact that you can't make entirely custom watch faces and just say, this stinks. Apple is being obstinate. I'm going to go pout for another year and hope that a watch OS eight lets me make watch faces. You, you just say, well, what are the rules? What, yeah. what, how does the whole thing work? And then once I understand the rules, what can I do? Yeah. And I think, I mean, the reality is, is, I mean, I've been doing, I've been in, you know, been, been in making apps for Apple's platforms for a long time. And I've seen, I've seen what, what the outcome of having that approach where you just get grumpy about what you can't do rather than try and really see what you can do and what, how can you be creative with the tools that we do have? Um, and like, there's so much more of an opportunity in that than if you, it's so easy to get stuck and say, you know, I really want to be able to, show that, you know, show the time in a complication, but Apple doesn't let you do that. They only let you, um, you know, update your complication once every 15 minutes. I can't do that. And it's like, well, they have this timeline thing, which I don't think really is intended to be updated every minute. But if I use that in kind of like, you know, like 
push the limits a little bit and I've definitely run into issues in this, but it's like conceptually, it's like, if you just say like, well, what is the best I can do? It's like, and I can't have seconds on my clock, but I can have minutes. And like, if that's good enough, then, um, then, then that's great. And I think that's, you know, so often in this, like in this game, it's the reality is, is things are like Apple will change over time. Like I used to think that watch kit was all we were ever going to get. And to some degree that I thought like, I'm just going to have to make the best of it. And I've made all manner of kind of awful watch kit apps because that was the best I could do. And like, then when Swift UI came along and Swift UI, and suddenly I can make an actual watch app. It's like, wow, this is amazing. And I have all this head start because I didn't get just like stuck in the mud about the fact that I couldn't do animation before. Right. Um, uh, I love the idea. I like when it, all computer systems are sort of like this, and maybe all real games are too. But like I, I used to back in the day, I used to play a lot of um, simulated sports games on the old Sega Genesis. I, I love okay. John Madden football and uh, NHL hockey. Yeah, and the thing about both of those games, and I don't know what to to what degree it's still true, because it's like when I see screenshots of Madden today, it just looks, it just is, it it it's, the graphics are stunning, but it's like photo, it looks like a televised football game. Whereas sure. back in the mid to late '90s, they were, you know, they look like Sega Genesis games. They were clearly designed to sort of, as you'd first start playing it, they would kind of look like real games and the way you would play the football game was the way that teams in the real NFL would play football. But when you got good at the game, you realized which plays worked and what they did. And you'd end up playing a game. If you, if two good players played each other, it was exciting and it was a terrific, it was terrific sport. But what, what you'd watch was nothing like real football and yeah. nothing like real hockey. The hockey game would actually much more like basketball because scoring was way too hot, was way higher. And you'd play these, you know, you'd, you'd play like two minute periods or something. And the, just to, to try to help make it seem more realistic, like seconds in the hockey game were like maybe half a second. You know, the clock yeah. went way faster sure. just to try to help keep it realistic, quote unquote realistic. But it looked nothing like, but it was a terrific game. It's everything in computers and like sort of what you're doing to me is sort of figuring that out, right? It's like you're making things with, uh, certainly with Watchsmith in particular, that maybe they're not designed for, but they are, it's all within the rules. You're not, yeah. you're not using undocumented APIs. It's not like the way that I, you could, uh, you could sometimes just get in a groove in the hockey game and score. Then they'd drop the puck at center ice. And if you had the timing just right, you could get it again, make a certain move, and it was like unbeatable. And you yeah. could sort of get in a groove. And it, you weren't cheating. You didn't like hack your, your cartridge. Yeah. You just sort of figured out this is within the rules of the game and the system. Here's how it works. And now you could have a date complication that moves out of the way when the hour hand or the minute hand reaches 15 minutes after the hour. Exactly. Like there's, it's very much, I, I mean, this is the part of my job that I enjoy the most is it's finding those unexpected like ways around that. The, yeah, it's like you could call them kind of like they're hacks, but they're not like hacks in the way that I'm actually like hacking the operating system, right. that I'm finding these like weird workarounds that work and are consistent and like are performant and all the things that you need them to be, but are definitely not, 
you know, what those, what the feature was intended for. Right. Um, and, you know, like that's a, that's a pattern that I've seen many, I've had to use many times because that's the only way to actually, I feel like, to, like to make things that are really interesting and new that aren't, that are, and that are different than um, kind of what other people are doing because otherwise, you know, it's, it's easy to do the obvious thing. That's the common case that Apple has designed the API for, but it's much more fun to make the thing that is not at all what they intended for. And they're surprised, you know, when they always have that line at the end of a thing, we can't wait to see what you do with it. And you're like, I don't think they meant this. Um, <laughs> but I think in some ways, maybe they are, you know what I mean? Maybe, you know, uh, like in the way that they definitely wouldn't be if, if what you shipped or somebody shipped was, well, I found a jailbreak and I've, yeah. you know, used it to open up the latest version of iOS. And now I have my own jailbreak app store. no, People yeah. at Apple probably overall are not excited to see what you were able to do with it. But right. I think that b- by staying within the system, but finding uh, possibilities, it's not an exploit, right? It's, yeah. it's unforeseen possibilities within the rules. And again, if the rules were all designed with things like performance in mind and you're not, uh, doing anything that's unperformant or, well, he's doing this, he shouldn't be able to, we didn't envision this, and it's sucking the battery down, they're going to change the rules, right? Yeah. Um, I think they are kind of excited to and see stuff I'm like sure that. they are. Like, and it's, I mean, maybe it's, it's not, if there are certain people within Apple who are think are probably think it's really cool, and there are people yeah. who are like, what? That was not within the design spec that we had when we had the meeting six months ago about what people were going to be able to do. This was not what they ex- were supposed to be able to do. Like, I think that's more what I mean that I think, then I think they're, you know, the, the feedback I've gotten over the years from doing this kind of stuff from Apple is that they they generally do like it because I think it also is an escape valve for all features they don't want to make mainstream, mm. but they can point to things that are on these edges that take a lot more work. Like, it's not easy to do what, you know, it's like, this, this is the hard way to do it, but you know, if they don't want to make custom watch faces, but if you can find ways to make complications really capable, then you're kind of releasing a little bit of that pressure. Right. Because if they're pulling back a little bit on, actually, maybe we don't need custom watch faces. Maybe we can just make complications a little bit better. Yeah. It gets to a very old bit of advice, which is that when you're reporting a bug or a feature request to a developer as a user you can you can sit, you can propose an idea and and it's not that it's unwelcome but that a lot of the times even if you're going to propose a solution start by describing your problem in as much detail first yeah and it's that description of the problem that's often more interesting to the developer than the proposed solution because yeah. There, you know, and again, that might be it. Where it's like, well, wait, I've got this. I don't know, like, uh, what's the bike riding app? Stevia, Strava, Strava. I, you know, I would. I don't even know if Strava has complications. I assume probably they do. Probably. Um, uh, or you know, uh, uh, you know, whatever it is. But maybe you, your your idea is, I wish Strava could have their own watch face because I would like. Something when I'm riding my bike, I'd like this information from Strava there. Um, but say the problem first, and maybe there's a better answer where they could integrate it into the workout app that is shown when you're on your bike doing a workout. Or maybe the answer yeah. is they could do it with a complication and 
and put it there. And that sort of description um, definitely, I think, is right up the alley of the the solutions you've had with Widgetsmith and Watchsmith. I would just like to have a custom thing in the corner, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I want it to, and that's, I mean, what I love in watchOS 7 is that now you can have multiple complications from the same app, mm. um, which is, which is a huge boon for, for me and what I'm doing here is where it's being able to like, now I can, I can take over a huge proportion of the watch face and it's not, right. a, it's not a custom watch face, but it's for other than the time, everything on the watch face can be something I render. Um, and like, that's a huge opportunity and a huge canvas for, for me. Um, let to, like, I just have to let go of the fact that I have to, you know, use their hands for the, for the time and, or their numerals. Yeah. But other than that, everything else I can do. Yeah. That was a weird limitation. And, and there's certain, you know, and you can sort of see it with some of Apple's complications like, uh, breathe, uh, which to me, <laughs> as I, uh, I mean, if you love the breathe thing, you know, you know, more power to you, but it's like, I, I don't know. I, I've been using this. Uh, the new S6. I, I'm just going to say S6 review unit watch since since I got it a couple of weeks ago, and I set it up as new, and I've been running it as default. And yeah. it's like the breathe things at once an hour. I don't even know how often they come up, but by default, it's like all of a sudden I'm working and I get a tap and I look at my wrist and go, oh, "What's that?" And it's like, "Hey, why don't you take a break and breathe for a minute?" And it's like, yeah. "F you." <laughs> That is my, I want like a big F you button every time that comes up until I, you know, broke yeah. down and I was like, all right, enough of my running with all these defaults. I'm turning this off. Yeah. Um, but with the complication, you could see why you would, even if you want to have the breathe complication on your watch face, you'd only want one. There's no reason yeah. to put it in two corners. But no. even with some of Apple's, I'm surprised they didn't foresee the need like weather, right? Like, I don't know how how did they get around that before. So whether so so Apple has their apps have been able to export multiple complications um, since the beginning. That's always been so. That in primarily it was shown through things like weather, where right. you would be able to show like the UV index and the temperature in right. like in two corners, and that was always the way that only Apple's apps could mm. do that. I see. They, they like they had the ability to export multiple complications, but. For a third-party app, it was always just one yeah. per type, right? Um, and so we could show multiple complications on a watch face if it happened to support multiple types. So, like, if you know, in the modular one, you have the big rectangle and you have the small circle, and like, I could take one of each, but I couldn't take you know two circles or anything gotcha. like that before WatchOS six. Ah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and I guess that they weren't thinking. And again, literally, WatchSmith is because it's as it's not about a specific type of complication. It's, you know, all sorts of complications, everything from yeah. weather to exercise information, you know, et cetera. Astronomy, tides, I have all manner of like right. every, anything I could think of. It's like, it's, it's very much a kitchen sink. Right. So it's very natural that somebody who's into that would want to have more than one of the same size yeah. on their watch face because it's not duplicating information at all because it's sort of a, it's an inverse of the typical relationship where, um, you know, uh, I, well, I was going to say weather, but that's a bad example. But, you know, sure. but, but like, I think your, your example of something like Strava or something, yeah. where maybe you're going to show like the, the number of miles you've biked this week or whatever that might be. Like, 
there's a limit to the number right. of places that you're going to want to devote to your biking activities. But right. if, you know, if for the other things where you have, yeah, it's like when I have so many different types of data, like I, I, you know, I want to have the moon phase because I think it looks pretty and I want to have the sunset time and I want to have the temperature and I want to have the date. Um, and like, if I want to, I want to have all those on the screen at the same time, because sure, why not? Um, and so like, it definitely, it lends itself to having multiple instances um, of, of those things. And I could, in theory, before I could have made like dozens of different apps for everything, but like that just logistically would not have been feasible. And I'm no. so you know glad I didn't, I didn't ever had to go down that road. Um, with the fonts thing, I know that, and I, I feel like the idea that you're going to customize the, you, you have quite a bit of fonts you can choose from for the widget Smith widgets. Yeah. Uh, I'm reminded of, and and I know I asked you this before the show, but is do your roots on the Apple platforms go back to the classic Mac OS era? And they don't. And Michael Simmons and I were did enough reminiscing about it on the last episode of this show. But one of the simplest things that you could do on the old classic Mac OS is we had a there was a clock up in the upper right corner. And I actually forget whether it was from Apple and it was in the system or if it was a third party thing or not, but it was, or if it started as like a lot of things did started as a third party thing and then Apple put it there. Um, but it was much like the, the Mac OS 10 clock where it was upper right corner in the menu bar and you'd have options for, you know, do you want the, you know, all the stuff you'd, all the various options. Do you want AM, PM? Do you want 24 hour time? Do you want the colon to blink? You know, yeah. everybody, you know, it's, we're, it's the same sort of things, right? You're very familiar with all of these options. And some people, yeah. some people definitely want the colon to blink. And other people, if the colon blinks, they will go insane, right? Yeah. To just <laughs> literally one of the smallest punctuation characters other than a single dot in the entire keyboard. And if it's up there blinking, it'll drive them insane. I personally, I'm not a blinking colon person, but it doesn't drive me crazy. But I know that there are people who are irate. But one of the other things, so so far so good. You think, okay, clock in the upper right corner, what's new? The other thing was that, I think it was the third party thing, but it was very common. But you could also pick what font the clock, the digital clock in the corner was. Sure. And it always seemed crazy to me. And this, you know, what did I pick? I picked the system font, right? If so, yeah. like in the Chicago 12 era, it was Chicago 12. And then when they changed it to charcoal, I changed it to charcoal and it just was the exact size and shape of the system font. And if it wasn't going to be the system font, and sometimes when I'd play with it, it would be like a, a smaller version of the system font, like, um, the system font in that era, Chicago 12, that was the menu bar font. And that's the famous, you know, the font that we all had on the iPods when the iPods first came out. Yep. Um, like the finder for file names would use uh, Geneva, which was their sort of bitmap version of Helvetica. Well, that was sort of a system font too. It wasn't the same font. It yeah. was Geneva versus Chicago, but it was what the system used for lists of things. So you might set your clock to be Geneva 9 point font. And that still looked like it was part of the system, right? It's like, instead of, and I thought, you know, I remember when I was playing around with it, like, oh, that's kind of clever. Cause it's not really a menu. It's just a clock. So maybe it should be Geneva nine. And it just gets yeah. you as a, as an avid user into that thinking of like junior level UI designer, um, yeah. 
which is fun and really is like a great gateway into thinking like a software designer. Um, which again, I think is, is where this tremendous enthusiasm from widgets is what that's tapping into. But what always struck me, and I saw a lot of people's clocks over the years because I spent a lot of time as like the resident, Hey, my Mac isn't working right. Get Gruber over here to fix it type. And then at some point, you know, in the late nineties was even doing like freelance consulting where people would call me in and I would actually make money doing it. And you get to see a lot of people's. You know, what extent, you know, a lot of desktops. And I was yeah. always interested in it. Like, what did people have? People would pick the craziest fonts for the clock. It sure. was all over the place. Like, and, and it wasn't like, oh, it's like everybody likes, uh, uh, like Zaf Chancery, right? Like certain of sure. the fonts over this. I, I forget if that was one of the fonts in the, but you know, a font like that, like a yeah, yeah. calligraphy font. Yeah. You couldn't, you, whatever. However many fonts people had, you had no idea. There was no accounting for the taste in clock font. People love to pick fonts like that. The rest of the system was all the regular system font. It wasn't like they installed an extension that would change their system font for everything, including the menu bar and dialogues and everything. Nope, just the clock, but maybe they wanted it to be times italic. Yeah. You know? And it, I was always fascinated by it. And so as I see people's enthusiasm for picking custom fonts for their widgets that of a, you know, not like, Oh, um, I was, I know, I, I think your software update added, uh, the, the first update to widget Smith added a few more fonts like DIN. Yeah. What are the new ones? DIN is one I mean, of the new ones. I have DIN. I have. Oh gosh, I've been adding like, I mean, this is where it gets a little like comedic in some ways for the number of different fonts. So like right now you can have regular San Francisco, San Francisco Rounded, New York, San Francisco Mono, Futura. Then I have my silly ones, Noteworthy, Markerfelt, Chalk Duster, Typewriter. And then I have Palatino, Gil Sands, Copperplate, and Din. Right. Um, that's a good variety. And those are all built-in fonts, right? That's, yeah. I, I, I say this as a question, but I happen to know that they're yes, all built into the system. Are. Um, yeah. Uh, but let's just say DIN, for example, though. DIN is a font that is, as San Francisco has evolved, it's gotten a little bit more of its own character. Um, but I know, I happen to know that internal to Apple, as Apple was working on the font we now know as San Francisco, um, before it officially had a name, it was sort of like a skunkworks project for years because when it first, we first saw it when the original Apple Watch debuted and it was the, it, it's always been the system font on Apple Watch. And it was the first time we saw it. And I remember being in the audience at the event, um, and it's, you know, of course, that's the sort of thing I think of is they announce it was what at the, it was the weird event that they only had, they only had one event there at the college in Cupertino, the Danza yeah. Auditorium. Um, and they start showing screenshots of this new product, Apple Watch. And I'm like looking at it. And I thought that my first thought was, oh, wow, they're using DIN. Yeah. And that's what I thought the font was. And I was like, ooh, it looks, DIN looks great on a watch. This is great. And then they'd show more screenshots. And I saw at least a couple of characters that I knew weren't DIN, but I was stymied. I was like, I have no idea what this font is. Um, 
and amidst all of the, wow, there's 10,000 questions about this product. It's not even shipping for six months, but there's a hands-on area across the street and we can go and holy cow, I'm across the hands-on table area from Gwen Stefani. Wow, this is bizarre. Uh, That's a true story. I'm like there trying on Apple Watches. I look up and who's trying one on across the table from me? It's Gwen Stefani. I'm like, this is bizarre. (laughs) That's not. That's not normal. This is not normal for Apple events. It's, it's gotten a little more normal in the years since, as it's been. They've gotten a little more celebrity laden. And one time, I was with uh, I was with someone, and we're outside. And uh, are you a sports fan? I I would say I'm a passing sports All right, fan. Well, like I, I enjoy watching sports, but I'm not like devoted to any particular sport. It was me and Clayton Morris, who used to be at Fox News. We were outside just getting fresh air outside the Bill James uh, Civic Auditorium. Uh, you know, it wasn't like five minutes before start. It was like, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes before the event was sure. supposed to start. But we had seats already, and we just went out to get fresh air. And uh, Barry Bonds and Joe Montana Whoa. come in together right past us. <laughs> it was like, what? That is quite a combination of characters. It's Right. It's unbelievable. It's like, what? What do we do? And uh, nothing. We just, you know, just give, kind of give them the look like, hey, we know who you guys are. Maybe the greatest baseball player of our lifetimes and the greatest football player of our lifetimes. Just walking by together like, yeah. you know, it's cool. There they go. Right in there to find out about new iPhones. Anyway, uh, all these questions about Apple Watch I have. The biggest one, perhaps the biggest was, what is this font? And I figured out, you know, by looking at the the actual hand-on ones, I was like, God, this is something new. Um, But internally to Apple, it was some designers before they knew the name called it Dinvetica because it was sort of at a basic level, not that it's a ripoff It is a very original font that's serving Apple very well and evolving in very good ways. Um, But if you need to just a starting point to understand San Francisco, it's sort of half Din, half Helvetica. Yeah. Um, so offering DIN as an option fits in, but offering fonts like New York, which is sort of a Times sort of serif font, you know, and uh, what are the the hand-written ones? Markerfelt? And, it's like Markerfelt and uh, Noteworthy. Noteworthy, right. Yeah. It's uh, like, they are definitely not. They do, they do, they have, they, well, you could say that like San Francisco is, you know, DIN and Helvetica. Um, kind of mesh together, like Markerfelt and Noteworthy are. They have, they have, they they share no common ancestors. No, um, <laughs> but I, in, in the font tree. So, but this is so offering those as options. So those those handwritten silly fonts. I don't know how you would describe friendly, whatever adjectives. Sure. Not Playful. my mm-hmm. cup of tea personally, but I also totally understand what it's like to have a strong personal preference for fonts and if that's what pleases you more power to you right like yeah. so i i've gotten tweets from people like this must be driving you nuts seeing people you know use crazy ugly fonts to make their widgets and no it doesn't at all right like what drove me nuts for years would be like when the built-in notes app only offered i think it was noteworthy maybe it was marker felt maybe they changed it over the years i forget i think it might have been marker felt at first but yeah i think it was marker felt to start with and then they offered an option like not to use it and you could use helvetica instead and it was like a 
prototypical or, or hypothetical glass of ice water in hell. Um, yeah. But that was because everybody had to use it, right? If the notes app is you get marker felt, whether you like it or not, then the fact that I don't like marker felt make, gives me strong feelings and makes me write very angry posts on, on my website. Sure. But the fact that somebody is allowed to set it as an option doesn't bother me at all. I say more power yeah. to you. I hope, you know, I, I could see why maybe you enjoy that. Yeah. And I think it's, it's what you were saying about the clock, right? It's that sense of like, you you can't even predict it. Like it's, right. it's not something that, oh, you see someone that's like button down businessman, you know, oh, he's going to want like a very button down business font, or he's going to want New York because that's like, reminds him of the New York Times. I don't know. Like, like you can't guess. This is just as, just as likely he's running around with Markerfeld yeah. and that's what he thinks is fun. And it's like, he could be, and even like, it's sometimes you get the impression it's like, I, use, I mean, I, you know, I'm using this font ironically. I think it's ugly, and I like that it's ugly. Right. Um, I like that it's silly. It doesn't. It's like I'm not trying to make this gorgeous. I'm trying to make this um, funny, and I'm, it's like it's a little joke that I'm playing on myself every time I I pick up my phone. And you know, it would be, it would be like if if you if I you know if if I made Arial one of the options and you set that as your your widget <laughs> font, right? It, it, you would be playing a little joke on yourself every time you picked up your phone and maybe it would make you laugh for a while and eventually you'd go crazy and you'd change it. But like if that, if that made you, if they put a smile on your face, even once, like, sure, mm. why not? Ariel's maybe the exception. See, now maybe, maybe. you've, now maybe you've pushed my button. Well, so that was, though I will say that was one of the, so I don't like, I, I don't like April Fool's. Like I think they're completely like silly yeah. and pointless. The only April Fool I've ever thought of that I would ever actually like do as a developer <laughs> is that I would add Arial as an option, but only if you select it on April first. Right, <laughs> like that is the one. Day, and it only works for that one day. But there, you on one day a year, you could use Arial, and it would only be for um, only be on April first. Somebody, I, so here's my I, <laughs> here's my necessary digression on Arial and why I would make an exception. Sure. Arial is a ripoff of Helvetica. And sure. that's, that is, this is a fact, not an opinion. And it was Helvetica has been a very famous typeface since before computers. It, it was a sensation from when it debuted in 1968, I believe. Um, and when true type type fonts became a thing on computers, Apple licensed the real Helvetica and it, became the default like document font. It's like like in text edit and going back to the classic Mac OS with teach text and to every every Mac word processor I've ever used, MacWrite, even Microsoft Word, if you try a new word processor and type command N, what is the font in the new window by default? It's Helvetica 12. Yeah. Microsoft decided not to pay to license Helvetica and instead commissioned a ripoff. That's Arial. They decided it would be cheaper to do their own. And so the only ways that, and so it's a ripoff in that it has the same metrics as Helvetica. And to most people's eyes, it looks the same and it's supposed to look largely the same. And then they just changed a few letters to, you know, to uh, not try to make it a copy copy, but just sort of a, well, well it's inspired by copy like yeah. the capital r in Arial looks really stupid and the capital c looks really bad and the lowercase t has a pointy top for unbelievable you know it looks like a toothpick at the top yeah. in a typeface where none of the other characters do this um my opinion and i believe this i'll go to my grave is that anybody who says they like Arial 
What they mean is they like Helvetica and they don't see the difference. And if anybody sure. ever says, I would like you do this, make this for me and use Arial 12, you as a designer are committing a crime if you don't just set it in Helvetica 12 and assume that yeah. they, they're getting what they wanted. Um, for example, I just read a story yesterday that is in his debate prep that Joe Biden, uh, somebody sent this to me. I should link to it from Daring Fireball that Joe Biden, his favorite typeface is Ariel 14. And they're like, Oh, whose group are going to vote for now? But my, my, my take on that is that I could see why Joe Biden likes that as a typeface because it's just plain, right? It's a very yeah. plain font. And so when he says, I would like my, my materials set in Ariel 14, Whoever he says that to should just set it all in Helvetica 14, and Joe Biden will be even better off than he was before and will be happy as a clam. Yep. All right. All right. Let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor, and it's Mint Mobile. Oh, man. Are you still using one of the big wireless providers? Have you asked yourself what you're paying for and exactly what you're getting? for the money you're paying between their expensive retail stores, inflated prices and hidden fees. You're being taken advantage of because they know you'll pay enter mint mobile. Mint mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a true fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint mobile saves on retail locations and overhead and passes those savings directly to you. They make it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text with Mint Mobile. Stop paying for unlimited data that you're never going to use. Choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts, etc. Ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. Here's what to do. Get a new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. Get the plan shipped to your door for free. Go to mintmobile.com slash talk show. That's mintmobile.com slash talk show. Cut your bill to just 15 bucks a month. All right, let's, uh, before we move on, let's, uh, let's talk about all of the various things that Widget Smith offers right now. So what are the features that, what, what, what things can you put in a Widget Smith widget? Sure. So it's like sort of the, the core conceit of the app is that I wanted to just let you make as many widgets as you want and have them do whatever you want. And so you can add widgets of any particular size of the you know, small, medium, and large that you want. Um, and then you can schedule those widgets to appear um, or just have a default and they'll just always be displayed. But you could have, but if you want, you could say like, I want my widgets to, you know, during the workday show one thing or during the, um, you know, sort of during the evening show something else. And it's like the types of widgets that I've sort of have in it are you have things that are like time-based, so you know, like the time, a clock, the fuzzy time, that kind of thing, or the date or a calendar, a bunch of stuff with photos. You can show a photo with, you know, text layered on top of it, your battery, um, things that are coming up on your calendar, things that are in your reminders list, weather, tides, and sort of astronomy data, so like the moon phase or um, like the sunrise and sunset time. Um, and so like those are all the kind of like c- c- sort of essentially my goal is to try and capture basically all the data sources that exist in iOS as much as I could, you know, so in terms of tapping into the system calendar and the system reminders list and um, just trying to be as comprehensive as I can. And I mean, the reality is, you know, I, I, these this is the, the list of things that I was able to get, you know, ready in time rather than necessarily um, 
the full list of things that I could have imagined or you know dreamt up. I still have a whole bunch of stuff, but it's like to start with, and the things that I think most people use it for is like to show those kind of basic data, um, and even just probably the most popular widget is just showing the date and showing it in an interesting way. Because um, for each of those types of widgets, you can choose the font, the color, um, if there's a border around it, um, the time, the things like like we were talking about earlier, like the time format, you know, do you want to have 24 hour time? Do you want to have the system default time? Do you want to have like a full PM written out or just want it's like a, a single A or a P? Um, like and basically my goal is that you can configure basically everything about it. Like, do you want, do you want the text on the bottom? Do you want the text on the top? Like whatever it might be. Um, that's kind of like the core conceit of the app and the features it has. I don't know why I was in college and at the student newspaper and the editor a few years ahead of me, Scott Smith, um, turned me on to uh, just using A and P instead of A and PM. And his argument yeah. was, well, they both have an M, so you're just wasting, yeah. you're, you're wasting space. And I was like, huh, never thought of that. And then ever since, now for 25 years and counting, I get frustrated <laughs> When software doesn't let you do it. And I understand why, because it is standard just to have the AM and the PM. But I, the fact that you, you, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll handle that case. You know, it's not sure. that rare, right? It's not no. like there's two of us out there who do it, but, um, it, but in it, so those are the data sources. We've talked about fonts, you've added a couple already, even since launching. Uh, and of course, color. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, colors. <laughs> like you gotta, you gotta love the, my very first app update after like it kind of like well, it's like in the way the story went crazy. It's like the place that Widget Smith had its like fifteen minutes of fame moment was on TikTok, where it got picked up by kind of the the impression I get is it's very much like the fashion beauty vlogger kind of community mm-hmm. it seemed to be kind of the, the place where it um, uh, the place where it hit in a way which is definitely an a audience in a community that I have no experience in whatsoever um, but that's apparently where it got picked up and as you may imagine my very first app update added a collection of pastel colors um, as pre pre-built options um, to the application where it's like all of a sudden now you have this beautiful pastel orange and yellow and pink and blue um, that were not the colors that I was um, envisioning when I was making the app, but they're in there now. So how did you get the feedback for that? Was it because people wrote to you or because you were like watching their TikToks where they said, no. this is great, but I wish it had. Well, the story for that is actually even more of a like a roundabout thing where, so the on the Friday that it ended up getting, like having its explosive moment, like early in the day, so when when I launch an app, you know, it, it has it always will have kind of like a, a contact me button where it'll be like here, you know, tap here and send me an email, basically, and I collect you know customer support and get feedback that way. And you know, Widget Smith was no different. And about sort of just after lunch on that Friday, I thought that all of a sudden my app had gotten like like somehow that email address, that support address, had gotten sucked into some kind of spam bot or something, <laughs> right? Because I suddenly, like the usual first week of support I get are from people in the Apple tech community. And many of them know me by name and are like, they're writing a letter if, you know, with feedback or comments or bug reports, or whatever it might be. They're writing it to me. They'll be like, hey, underscore, you know, congrats on the app. I ran into this issue. And it's like to me. And all of a sudden around midday, I started getting the opposite of that, which was these very short, poorly written 
like uh, kind of slightly incoherent things that I was getting from addresses that didn't look like my the normal kind of community and audience that I was getting. I was like, oh gosh, like somehow this address has gotten kind of pulled into something that's not what I am. You know, like somehow it's gotten you know some spam bot is just sitting there and thinks it's funny to just keep sending me these kind of emails. And not to like disparage those, but it's like it's a very different kind of email than I'm used to. And that just kept building over and over, like throughout that day. And it's like, it just become more and more problematic in the sense of, I'm like, oh, what do I do with these? And like, and then at some point later in that afternoon, someone, I think on Twitter just sent me a link to, um, a, a, one of these, one of the videos on TikTok that I think was like the one that was, had sort of the biggest views at this point. And at that point it was, you know, had several million, um, views <laughs> at that point. Um, and it all of a sudden was like, oh, this is starting to make sense as to why my support queue is now just filled with emoji everywhere. And it is a totally different, um, you know, like audience that I'm used to. And it isn't necessarily that they were asking for pastels. It was more, I interpreted mm-hmm. the audience and the way that they were using it um, to be that they were, they, they would appreciate if there was an increase in the pastel palette um, within the application. And so I just, I did, I did that, I did that on my own prerogative and it's, it, it hit out, hit very well. Like uh, that, that, that feedback was very well received. And then immediately, like I think the second or third update was I built a custom color picker um, so that you could, really dial it into exactly like whatever it is color you want um because it became very clear that like my pre-built basics where it's like would you like it in red or green or blue it's like this isn't going to cut it we're going to need like to really go down that road but i had it's like i i just discovered it in a weird like someone was like hey you you seem like you're doing well on tiktok and i'm like i i like i know what tiktok is it's not like i like have no concept of it but I, i don't have an account i've never used it um and so it just like out of nowhere, essentially, this was ha- this sort of happening in the, this in this community that I'm not really a part of or sort of have a connection to, and it wasn't really until it sort of spilled over into Twitter, where it, which is a community that I do typically like have experience and will like have a, you know have a have a presence in that I actually was mm-hmm. like oh this is what's happening and then that that's where like all of a sudden my you know sort of shift towards um, cuter fonts and more pastel colors. Became something that seemed like an obvious move. Yeah, and that's uh, you know it's sort of what I was talking about too. Where a good developer doesn't just take requests; it's you listen to the reason, right? And so even if you, like you sussed out, oh, I can I can suss out from this that a variety of pastels would go over fantastic with this crowd. Yeah. It's not because they said I would like you to add pastels. You you yeah. you have to just sort of read between the lines, you know, and it's like maybe in the same way that a good wedding DJ doesn't just take the request for specific songs but is like, "Oh, these people are ready to dance." You know. Yeah. You you know, think you 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 think more like that and you're steering their desires that way. Um yeah. Was the custom picker hard? I don't even know. Is that like a is that a standard thing in SwiftUI? It's UI? not a standard thing. It's completely well. There is a standard one in SwiftUI, but I couldn't use it because of the way that my editor is sort of structured. It mm. just wouldn't have worked. It would be this kind of like weird odd, odd man out um, in my picker. So I just built a custom one. And I mean, it's it's like, is it hard? I don't know. It's like I've been doing this a long time. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, it wasn't it wasn't straightforward, but right. it was not like something that was insurmountable. Because the nice thing with color at least in this it's like it's relatively you know it's a constrained problem set like there's only um 
like for my purposes, there's only so many colors that I need to display and I can kind of relatively easily come up with a way to, you just drag your finger along on the picker. Um, and that's a fairly intuitive thing rather than, you know, going down the road of like RGB or something, which right. is not like a very user friendly thing of like, they don't know how much red they want in their color. They just want to see it on the screen and drag their finger over towards it and be like, Oh, there it is. Like, I want this one. I find like talking to my son, um, I mean, and he's nerdier than most, like he's not really into programming at all yet. Maybe he's actually taking computer science for the first time now in 11th grade. Nice. Um, what do you think the language is? Java still? No, better. Great. Oh, Python? Yeah, Python. Python. I thought it yeah. was, I, my hope was, oh, I hope it's, I hope it's Python. I don't even know Python, but I was hoping it was Python because I don't really know it, but I know enough about it to root for it. And I know it's a good language. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, well, if not Python, hopefully JavaScript, please not Java, please not Java. Yeah. <laughs> and it was Python. Uh, and his textbook is the O'Reilly Python book. And it's like, oh, well, that's a good book. Yeah. Um, but even he knows RGB, like it's like yeah. a gamer thing because like you learn the RGB color so you can program your keyboard <laughs> sure. to light up to the light right up. colors. But yeah. it actually is surprising talking to him about it that like there's a surprising number of people who all of a sudden you know they know hex values for RGB colors, you sure. know, and it's like oh I'm surprised that you know that. Okay, uh, sure, yeah. you know. But it's not a particularly humane way to describe no, a color. No, <laughs> it's like that. That's not a. That that's definitely not something that it is a. It is a tool of trade, not a um, something that a normal person should be expected to know the you know the exact x value of the color that they want. Four A five two five A. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to think what else there's left to talk about here. So all right, let's talk about the monetization. Sure. So this, it seems like, and uh, is this, uh, like you said earlier that you, you kind of thought maybe Widget Smith would be less popular than WatchSmith. Um, yeah. They share a monetization strategy and in fact yeah. pool together. Sure. So the basic idea, they're free apps and certain of the features are unlocked through a what do you call it a pro account a premium account? Yeah, I think it's I call it like WidgetSmith Premium. It's like a, a membership or a subscription to the app. And um, it is, uh, I think two two dollars a month or twenty dollars a year. Um, and among those are weather and the tides, which I get is that the same data source or is it different? It's it's two separate the data sources. Um, right. Like the tide data is coming from a like a tide. A, yeah, it's yeah. like a Thai data source, and then the weather is a separate thing. Yeah. Um, and that's it. It's very simple. You know, yep. there's no, oh, you pay a dollar to get colors, and you pay $3 to get weather, and that renews because it's subscription. It's just yeah. one thing. It's a membership. And then the only choice is do you want to pay monthly or annually and get a, you know, save Twenty percent. I love that you're very precise and say that you save nineteen percent. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, I mean, I gotta say, just as a, a sort of a brief digression on that, it's like that screen is the one that I feel like I agonized over more. Like I, I, mm. I try and be you know thoughtful about my design and a lot of things, and but that's the screen that I think I agonized over the most because I don't want to be like it's very easy to 
be misleading or to be manipulative or to be like having people sign up for things that ultimately they're going to regret. Um, and there's, I mean, there's countless scams and things in the app store that are that way. And it's like the opposite, my my goal and my design is the opposite. Like, and and maybe you could, some, some people might, might say it's like, I'm like, it's a bad design in that way. But it's like, my goal is it's like, it is very clear what you're signing up for. It is very clear what it costs. It is like clear the difference between the monthly and the yearly where it's like, if you know, if you, if you have like, even with the monthly, it's like, I show you the monthly price times 12. Right. And I say, it's going to cost this much a year. And so it's like very clear that it's, this is what's going to happen because the last thing I want, it's like, what I want is to have everybody who hits that button and starts subscribing to the app. They know exactly what they're in for. They're not going to be surprised. They're not going to be upset. Like that's the thing that I ultimately want there because I'd rather have fewer customers that were happier than like somehow you know, end up with all these customers who are like, why am I being charged for your app? Like, this is, this is not what I want. Um, and so like my goal with that was definitely very much to just be as straightforward and clear as I can. It's like, if I, rather than saying you're saving 20%, it's like, no, you're actually saving 19%. Because if I start to lie, if I'm <laughs> lying to you and saying it's 20%, right. then I'm lying to you. Like I'm already, I'm already off to a place that like, I'm, that, that's not true. You're actually not saving 20%. You're saving 19. Right. Uh, and the buttons are the same size. You're not like steering people towards a big sign up for the year versus sign up for the month uh, yeah. or vice versa. They're the same size. The uh, 23.88 per year annual cost of the monthly is printed in a very normal sized font. Yeah. <laughs> the norm, the same font as everything else. The only actual small print is the actual, you know, what should be small print. The, your purchase will be applied to your iTunes account and the confirmation of your purchase subscriptions will automatically renew. You know, that it, there's nothing hidden in the small print. It's a very yeah. honest exchange. Um, and again, it's beautifully simple where you're either in the membership or not. The free version is extremely useful in both cases. Uh, yeah. you know, and it, yet the, you know, it's, it's sort of, I, I, you know, it's a very good balance where it is very useful as a free app and therefore it is very popular as a free download, but yet what is there to be paid for is a reasonable amount of money. It is, you know, what about 20 bucks a year um, for anybody who does sign up and gives features that people would actually want. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's what I like to is what I ended up with this is it's, I, it's, it's, it's like selling margin, selling like essentially like selling digital goods is always a weird business because it doesn't cost me anything to like let you access pink. Like the fact, like the fact that if like in theory, I could have like put pink behind a paywall and you have to like pay a dollar to unlock pink, like, okay, great. Or blue or whatever color that might be like that doesn't, but I feel that feels like a weird business to be in. I mean, this, this is sort of like a broader discussion of like a lot of the apps that are making most of the money on the app store are these consumable, like in-app purchase, th- like things where you're buying gems that are just bits in a database, like, but they're creating this big cost to them. And it's like, I don't ever feel great about that. And instead it's like, I feel much better about a business where weather and t- data costs me something. And so I can't provide it to you for free. Like right. that's, it, it's unreasonable. And certainly I'm not giving it to you at cost. Like that's not what it costs me to provide, you know, um, to provide that data, but it feels reasonable to pay for that. I need you to pay for it on an ongoing basis. So it's a subscription. And then that's the audience that is sort of 
is, is my, you know, is the audience that I'm sort of charging for. And if you are a user who just wants to support the app and just wants to like pay for it and never use, you know, weather and tides, like, great, that I appreciate that. That's wonderful. Right. But I feel if you're someone who wants weather data, I feel good about charging you for that. And it's nice and sort of simple and straightforward. It's not trying to be manipulative or problematic in a way that I feel like so, so much of the app store is. And it means that I'm avoiding a lot of the things that, you know, would sort of, sort of go down a path where you can make a quick buck, but end up in a way worse place. People, it sounds like we're, you know, you and I are getting ready to move to some kind of hippie compound, but sure. you can't, you can't put a price on what it's like to sleep good at night. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, trying to scoop up every available penny you could make if you tried to do everything short of like towing your line against tricking people into paying for something gets yeah. you dangerously close to trying to move the line of what constitutes tricking or not. Whereas if yeah. you're kind of trying to stay as far away from the tricky line as possible, you're almost certainly are leaving money on the table yeah. that you would have picked up, but you're probably not leaving any money on the table from people who definitely wanted to buy it, and they're the ones you yeah. feel good about. And yeah. there's so many normal businesses in the real world where you never have to worry about it. Like, if you run a restaurant, nobody, like, gets tricked into coming into your restaurant to eat. Sure. You know? <laughs> like, I didn't... I, uh, what? I didn't know I had to pay for this dinner. What? Why yeah. am I paying for this steak? <laughs> I thought it was no, free. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It's like, the, and that's the expectation. And there's just straightforwardness. Like you right. walk into you walk in the door, and they hand you a piece of paper that has the name of the food and how much <laughs> it costs. And it's very straightforward. And you'd be surprised if you like order the you know you order the hamburger and it says it's fifteen dollars. And at the end of the meal, they're like, that will be yeah. know, seventeen dollars a month for the yeah. rest of like your life. It's like what? <laughs> that would be a surprise. That would right. not be what you expected for. But that's not what happens because right. or like next month when your when your credit card bill comes and you've got another charge from the place you ate a month ago, and it's like yeah. what? I didn't know. I didn't know I was subscribing to a hamburger from the place. I'm not. I'm that was at an airport over in uh, yeah. down. Florida. I, why? Why am I subscribed to a hamburger? Yeah. But uh, I feel like so often that happens in the app store, though. Like that yeah. kind of thing can happen where there's so, especially with subscriptions, it can very yeah. easily be something that you don't really know what you're signing up for. Yeah, totally. Um, All right, let's talk a little bit about weather. I don't think people understand that weather data costs money to developers. Sure. Um, and it does. There is no. Well, there's some free weather info, but quote-unquote free, and there's a reason yeah. why weather apps are usually paid. And if they're yeah. not paid, are sort of a cesspool of privacy-invasive shenanigans. Yeah, where they're just trying to get your location data, basically. Yeah. Yep, because, uh, yeah, and this this is, a, a, it, once you think about it, everybody, if, if you, Dear listener of the talk show, I've never really pondered this. You're going to, your mind's about to be blown because if you think that there are a bunch of scammy ad network type of businesses, hundreds and hundreds of them out there that really would like to have your location data. Um, and you know that all these apps system wide have really been locked down in terms of anything that has location data you have to ask the user for permission for. And it's very easy to go check in the privacy section of settings, which apps have location data, which ones have used it recently and how to turn it off. 
and you think, you know, it's hard for scammers to get into it. What apps do you grant location to? Well, of course you grant it to your weather app, right? Yeah. Because you want weather where you are and it makes, you know, other than like a turn by turn directions app, I can't think of another genre of app where granting location data is more essential to it. I guess the, yeah. the Pokemon Go, right? And like ride hailing, maybe. Yeah, like ride hailing. Right. But that's, yeah, again, but, that's sort of mapping, right? Like yeah. it, it's just a ride hailing is almost just a, a variant of turn by turn directions. It's yeah. giving them turn by turn directions to get to you, you know? Yeah. Um, so guess what? There's an awful lot of weather apps that have made arrangements and deals. Yep. And, and if you have a free third party weather app on your phone, you probably are giving up your location data to outfits that you probably don't want to give your location data to. Yeah. I mean, I can speak from experience that that is something that at any time there are P, there are companies that exist and I get, you know, solicitations for this kind of stuff as a developer that anytime you have an app that accesses location data, that they were more than happy to pay you for that data. <laughs> and you'll just, they'll basically say, oh, it's, you know, it's no big deal. You just drop our SDK into your application. Right. And it'll, you know, because you've granted permission, we'll just collect the data and, you know, send it off and you'll get a check each month. And, like, it absolutely exists and it's something. And it's like, I don't think that's what people are signing up for when they're hitting, like, you know, show me the location, show me the weather data for where I am right now. Yeah. So this had, this whole direction got me thinking. And when Apple bought Dark Sky earlier this year, yeah. um, it made me wonder. I was not surprised because I've always, I've been a fan of Dark Sky, I think, since they did launched. It's fantastic service and I love their predictions, uh, you know, for near term precipitation. And they've been uncannily yeah. accurate for the most part over the years. And when they're not, it's never like I, I feel ripped off. It's like if they say, hey, rain starting in five minutes and it doesn't rain, it looks, sure. it sure as heck looks like it's about to rain, right? Yeah. Uh, and there have been times where they've said, Dark Sky has given me an alert, like rain starting in 10 minutes. And I look up and I'm like, they're nuts. There's no way it's going to rain in 10 minutes. And yeah. sure as hell, 11 minutes later, it's raining. And it's like, where did this come from? Um, but anyway, I wonder if Apple's long-term plan on this is to provide weather services at the system level. I mean, I, I it definitely was something that came to mind for me. As like as someone who who uses it, that like I could see Apple trying to get to you know, sort of. I don't know how. Like if if they, I'm not sure if they would ever require it. Like right. that feels like tricksy, but it's a, definitely a thing of if they can get off people off the need for. Um, you know, it's like oh, for for a third party developer to have to pay for weather data, like that certainly seems like a good benefit. I mean, my suspicion though is honestly is that they don't like that in the weather app it has the Weather Channel logo in the bottom right corner. I know, and it, or the you, Yahoo or the Yahoo logo right. or whatever that is. Like, right. I think the reality is, is they just view that as it's like, why do we have on like one of the most used apps probably behind, like my God, I imagine it's like messages and then weather are probably the two most used apps um, on iOS. Like that, we have some other company's logo prominently in the corner of this app at all times, and I got to imagine they just want to not have that there. It, and, it, have you ever asked the, your your home assistant, your dingus, for the weather? Um, like if you have HomePod and you you ask, "Hey, what's what's the weather?" I don't know what the rules are because it doesn't seem like 
they always tell you, but sometimes they'll be like, the weather today in Philadelphia will be 71 degrees with a 30% chance of rain and a low temperature in the evening down to 57. My weather data is provided by the Weather Channel. And it's even worse than the logo, right? Because the logo, at least they can make small and stick in the lower corner, but to actually have to say it out loud. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like I just, I got to imagine that has more to do with it because I think they, like, I, I would love for them to provide it. And I mean, in some ways, of course, that would make a bit of a conundrum for me because part of the way that I've sort of structured my things is that right. data has a cost. But like, I, and I'm not, as, but if they did, they could certainly go down that road now that they own Dark Sky and that they have that data and they have it um, in, in, in a sort of in a broader way. But yeah, um, that's like in my mind, they're just going to, they just want to get rid of that logo as soon as they can. Yeah, well, that's where I was going with it. Is that if so? It's it is admirable that you're not charging for access to more than say the eight primary colors, and I say that I say admirable in that I I I like your thinking. I don't think there's anything wrong personally sure. with apps that do that. We actually had tossed that around with Vesper as a an idea before. You know, yeah. we just gave up the ghost, but that maybe we would have a paid subscription thing that would have alternate themes for yeah. Vesper. Um, and it, that wasn't necessarily no marginal cost because we were thinking, you know, like maybe it would be fonts that we had to license to include. Sure. Um, but it might be, you know, it might be stuff like colors where literally it's not a marginal cost to us to offer a red. It, yeah. But, you know, it, you have to charge for something, you know, yeah. and it, and it felt better than charging for sync. I don't know. Yeah. And I think, or more one, for like, sync or something like that. When I think about that though, is it's the, like, it's great to reserve the ability to charge for things in the future. Right. Um, like, when, like when I'm coming into something like this, it's like, I want to have a business model up front that like I'm accumulating enough revenue to keep the lights on and to have a, you know, have a reasonable business, but it's offset just as much by creating goodwill and the opportunity in the future that if at some point weather data is becomes free for me and it becomes a little silly that I'm charging for it, then at that point it's like there, I'm sure there are other opportunities and there's other things or even in the near term, like one of the obvious things that I should probably be starting to do is, you know, work with designers and have like theme packs or Mm. things that are, you know, like that kind of a purchase within the application Yeah, where it's a, it's it's and I, what I like about that is it's like it's it's a truly premium upsell in a way that it isn't like I'm charging you for red. It's right. like I'm charging you for here's this designer who has created this gorgeous you know set of borders and colors and backgrounds and wallpapers and you can right. buy them as a unit and you're getting something that feels nice, not something that feels like I'm being cheap. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like if it was like a custom border design that made it seem like a very fancy certificate of authenticity, you know? Yeah. Like my widget is completely certified. Yeah. You know, and people might, you know, might have fun with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think, you know, uh, well, here's the, here's my other question about weather before I get off the weather. The other thing sure. I wanted to pick your brain about is that widget Smith defaults to feels like temperature. Yes. Instead of actual temperature. I, I get a lot of feedback on this. Okay. So I, as a weather app aficionado, I have mixed feelings about this. Yeah. I'm curious why, why that's the default. That's almost never the default. Sure. So this is one of those cases where 
that every weather app I ever use where it's an option that I can display the actual temp, like the sort of, I guess the scientific temperature or the apparent temperature, I always set it to apparent temperature because as a person existing in the world, that's the temperature that actually is meaningful to me that if it's going to, if I go outside and it feels like a hundred, then I want to know that it feels like a hundred, not that it is 90. Like I just, for, as a like, that's what I want to know when I look at the weather app and when, so I'm always sw- like flipping that switch. And so as a developer, that's one of the places where I'm just being a little opinionated and saying, I think this is actually what you want, that when you say you want to know the weather, you actually want to know what it's going to feel like if you go outside, not what, you know, a thermometer sitting outside is what it would tell you. And so in the same, like what you were saying earlier of like, tell me the problem. Don't tell me what your solution is to the problem. Like the problem you have is what it's going to, what's it going to feel like if I go outside and I can answer that question. People have worked this out with, you know, feels like temperature and wind chill and heat index and all that. And so I'm actually, I think that's a better answer. And some people who get really upset about that when they realize that like, why does it, you know, it's like, my thermometer outside on my deck says that it's 80 degrees, but your set, your, you know, your thing says it's 90 degrees. And it's like, well, it's because it's super humid outside. And if you go outside, you're going to, it's going to feel like it's 90. And so that's why there's an option to do it. Like I'm to let you, you know, I made it so that you can optionally turn it off. But as a default, I, I firmly believe that apparent temperature is what everyone should think about because that's actually what people care about. Okay. I was on board with you and on that team all summer long. Earlier this summer, I switched all of my apps that I, and I switched between a bunch that all of them that support feels like I switched to feels like I had it on my watch. And I was like, this is, this is fantastic. And there were days, and it was summer and it was, you know, it's the East Coast. So, you know, usually it was my feels like would say, Hey, it feels like 95, even though it's only 84. And that's a big difference. And it's the difference between pleasant and unpleasant and it would be right and i was like i everything should be like this and then i ran into a couple of days in a row where it was wrong and it would be like it feels like 94 and it's like oh that's miserable and i was like well i gotta go out anyway i go out and it was beautiful and it was like and it's the it really the the feels like was just in my opinion wrong it didn't feel like it at all and i don't know what and i was talking to um Ryan Jones, who's the developer of uh, Weatherline, one of my favorite yeah. third-party weather apps. And he was like, he just, <laughs> it was one of our typical chats where it was either going to be really long and he was like, oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> yeah. And it basically, he was like, I, I think it, all the effort I've put into Weatherline, you could put into, I, I would like to put into a new formula for feels like to actually get it right. Like sure. that's how hard it can be. And yeah. I concluded by the end of summer, that when feels like is wrong is worse and therefore outweighs the benefits of when feels like is better. And what I kind of want, and none of my apps seem to do, is is to find the perfect balance of showing me both at once. It's like, it seems like most apps either show you one or the other, or they show you one of them big, and then the other one is like small print at the bottom, you know, like weighted. Um but it can be very wrong. It's that's that's my complaint with it is that sometimes yeah. it'll say it feels like blank and it's like no it actually feels like the actual temperature. Yeah. And 
I mean, there are so many solutions to this that are tricky. And like it is, it's certainly a thing because it's it's not like perception is a hard thing to measure. Yes. And it's certainly with something like you know, certainly with right. something like weather that, and like some people like don't mind the humidity nearly as much as others. And so right. they, they, they're going to feel it differently. Right. Um, and I mean, I think of like the, so the national weather service they have, have you ever seen their graphical uh, forecast? No, I don't think so. So they have, let me see if I can quickly bring one up, but so they have this forecast that is um, very, very sort of like economic in terms of the way that it shows um it, sh- it shows you the weather data. And what I've always thought is interesting with the way their economy of kind of like how they do it is the heat index or the wind chill is sh- is only shown when it's like beyond a certain amount different than mm. the typical, um, than it's a, when it's a typical amount different from the, like the actual temperature. And I feel like there's a certain, maybe something in there that I think they may be sort of hitting on. Um, but like they, it's like you, there's a certain balance where yes, you only want it to show when it's going to tell going to tell you something that you really need to know, like when it is actually, um, like you're going to walk outside and you're going to be like, I thought it was 72, and you walk outside and you're miserable, right. and you're like, I want you to tell me that right, um, right now, right? But like so maybe there's something like that where you only show it if it's different. Among, like above a certain amount, yeah, and yeah. so you're you're trying to optimize for the surprise factor, right? Um, yeah, that makes sense to me. Or if it's above, like, only tell me when the heat, in, like, if the heat index is above ninety five, say, yeah, like at that point, switch to using that, or I don't know. But it's it's a it's it's it's, it's a problem I've struggled with um, for for how to how to show that data in a way that is reasonable. Yeah, it's a complicated pro- problem. Anyway, now that you have a weather app, <laughs> effectively. Yeah. Welcome to the yeah. club. Yeah, well, I've been in the club for a while. Yeah, like, I guess I've so. Um, uh, so I guess last but not least, I just I, again, I'm not trying to get actual numbers, but it, no, no, that's fine. But you're, you know, but it, it a reasonable it, amidst this uh, avalanche of downloads, you're also getting a somewhat commensurate uh, increase in number of people who are actually signing up. It's not just all yeah. people using the free app. It is actually a hit product yeah. for you. Yes. No, it is certainly, um, it is certainly converting well, like at a, at a rate that you would sort of usually expect for this kind of thing. Cause right. you know, in a normal application, you only, you know, it's like, it's, you kind of expect that the majority of your users aren't going to subscribe, aren't going to pay, aren't going to be doing anything like that. But you just hope that, you know, a certain percentage of people are, and that has seemed to be sort of the case with this, um, that if people aren't, you know, enough of, enough people want to sh- see that data or support the app or for whatever reason they're, they're signing up, um, that they, you know, th- that they're doing it. And they had, you know, and, and I, w- I was worried when, you know, when it had its crazy kind of like, like the, the first, like, I don't even know, 24 to 48 hours of this app were, where it kind of really took off were unlike anything I've ever seen in 12 years of making apps for the app store, where it's like the number of downloads I was getting in an hour is like collectively what it usually takes years for all my <laughs> other apps to put together. That's insane. Like, you know, like it, it's one of these things. Like, I don't have a concept of how to, like, even really sort of deal with that. And my my fear was that obviously you'd have this huge spike, like absurd numbers, like you know, tens of millions of people downloading the app, and then all of a sudden it was going to fall off, and you know, no one was going to subscribe, and it would have just been like, 
huh, do you remember that funny day that I had like crazy downloads and then nothing, nothing, like nothing changed in my life? Right. Like that was kind of what I was, at least the pessimist in me was certainly had that little like, you know, fear in the back of my mind. Right. Um, but that's like, I was thankful to see that even as it's sort of settled down and it isn't quite, I mean, it's, I kind of feel like, you know, when you see people like going off to climb Mount Everest, they have to go up to different camps along the way. Yes. And they'll like go up somewhere and they'll like spend a week and then they'll go to the next one and they'll spend a week. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm in one of those base camps now where the, like, Early, like in those first few days, it was, I was up on Everest. Like I'd never seen anything like this. This is way up high. And it's like, I've come down from there, but I'm just like hanging out at like advanced base camp now. Like it's, it's not normal by any definition of what normal would be. Um, but it's like, it's continuing on and having a life and having conversions into subscriptions and doing the things that make it a sustainable business and not just being, you know, crazy up, crazy down. Huh, that was funny. And I just go back to, you know, my other apps. Yeah. Well, it, I, congratulations. It is well deserved. But just in terms of how bananas it is, here's, I'm, le- I'm looking at the live top chart for free apps right now. Yeah. And as we speak, <laughs> the list is number one, Widgetsmith, two, Zoom. <laughs> and yeah. again, this is in coronavirus with back to school and yeah. all of this stuff going over Zoom. Three is your arch rival, Color Widgets. Yeah. Um, but, you know, similar, similar, oh, sure. basic, same basic idea. It is yeah. an app about widgets. Um, four, Discord, uh, very, very popular chat, talk and chat app. Five, TikTok, which has been threatened to be <laughs> removed from the app stores, which yeah. in addition to its popularity has prompted its downloads. Six, YouTube, Instagram, Gmail. Have you heard of Gmail? Yeah. <laughs> Snapchat. And then number 10 is Facebook. And then 11 yeah. is Messenger. And it goes on from there. Now, of course, some of this is, it doesn't mean that Widgetsmith is more popular than Facebook. Uh, obviously, no. Facebook's downloads are suppressed and Instagram, et cetera, are suppressed on a daily basis significantly by the fact that there are billion, literally billions of people who already have them. Sure. Uh, but... It puts it into context. I mean, that some of these apps are not like the others in yeah. this list, right? One of these apps was made by a single person, like working at a right. computer in his basement, and the other one is made by like some of the most valuable companies in the world, right? That, I mean, I I think I'm pretty sure that Facebook has more than one engineer working on their main app. I hope so. I think so. Uh, it's just it's just really, really awesome to, to be talking to you and have you not just on the list, but at number one. It's really yeah. a lot of fun. But part of that is uh before we go into the final section, I want to talk about sleep tracking. Um but before we get there, just your your basic strategy has been so interesting to me over the twelve years you've been working on the platform. I was it a recent tweet? Somebody I just saw a tweet from you where you were you mentioned that you've had fifty nine apps. Yeah, was yeah, that recent? Was just, yeah, that was a couple of days ago when yeah. I was just kind of like reminiscing on the twelve years that it has been to get me to here. Was that it's yet? Yeah, I've made fifty nine apps over the last twelve years. Uh, you know, I, I think it. Tell me if you disagree in any way, but I think a basic description of your your strategy from the beginning is to come up with ideas for smaller apps 
that you could do by yourself relatively quickly and see how, see what's popular, see what sticks. And, you know, and if it gains traction or some angle of it gains traction, then go with it. And if not, move on to another idea. Like you, all 59 yeah. apps are not still actively maintained no. and available in the app store. No. Um, it, it, it is a, a sort of, you know, you, your strategy is to be a singles hitter, not a home run hitter. And yeah. spray a lot of singles and get on base as often as you can. And good, you know, in baseball, good things happen, you know, yeah. as opposed to, well, I'll just sit there and keep trying to hit a home run and wait till the bases are loaded, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, keep going with my analogies here. You're, you're, if you're playing Tetris, you're, you're trying to clear lines as you go. You're not saving a column over on the side, going for waiting for a couple of big four in a row pieces yeah. to, to get the four in a row things you're clearing rows as you go uh and uh, you know i i to me this is the payoff that you've been waiting for you keep working on good ideas you keep trying them you're you know you're there on day one right and in terms of that whole debate of hey why were developers so mad that they only had uh 24 hours notice for ios 14 um because they're it's good to be there on day one yeah. Right? And I mean, it's- I, I've benefited from that many, many times. Like one of my other popular apps, Pedometer Plus Plus, is like a step counter. And it was the first app that ever used the motion processor in the iPhone 5S. And because it was the first, it did well. <laughs> and it's, you know, that's a skill. It is a tremendous skill. You, you, you're you prolific, as, you know, and I'm not trying to uh, uh, puff you up just because you're no, no. the guest on my show, but it, there's a prolificness to it. And But if you think about it, just the amount of time you've spent on the infrastructure of setting up the metadata in the app store to get 59 apps adds up yeah. to <laughs> weeks of time. Well, I have my 10,000 hours of uploading screenshots into iTunes Connect. Like, right, right. I, I have been doing that far more than I wish I would have been able to. <laughs> right, you've got your... You're really good at launching a new app. Yeah. Um, you know, you never know what, what's going to hit, you know, it's, it's always true. And I think, I think it's like, it's one of those things where my goal and what is like, A, I have a really short attention span and I love, like the thing I enjoy most is making new apps. If I'm honest, I really don't like maintaining apps. Like I, I love making them. I love the idea. I love having, seeing like a WWDC keynote is probably like my favorite two hours of the year in my work that I love seeing like, these are the new things and coming up with what's possible. Or as we were talking about earlier, what's maybe not so possible in what they're hoping for, but something that I could make happen. Yeah. Um, I love that process and I love doing that and I have a short attention span and I get bored maintaining something. And so I, I like that process and it means that, yeah, it's like I've gotten good at knowing how to turn apps around very quickly. I've gotten good at knowing how to launch apps, how to, what are the features that are actually going to be meaningful for an application? What is something that if I actually make, it's like there's 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 a very fine line between knowing what's a good version one feature and what's a version one point one feature, and because half the time I never build the one point one, it's important to know that difference and to know that it's like this is not something that I need for version one and I should push it to the side and wait um, on it and that has allowed me to be able to be in the position where 
it's like I've launched 59 apps. I would say all but maybe six of them are were complete flops from a like a financial, a business, whatever perspective. Like I learned a lot from them. So it's certainly like I and it benefits me now when I'm making an app like Widgetsmith that has touches so many different parts of the of iOS and all of, of the the system that I've built a calendar app. So I can if I want to add calendars to Widgetsmith, that's easy. I've done that before. I have all this code. I know where all the weird bugs are. I've worked around them before. If I want to interact with a, you know, weather data, like I built a weather app years ago and I've, I've done this before. I know how to do it and I can build that experience. And I think it's a model that works well for the, like, I feel like the indies kind of traditionally, like, like the traditional Mac or Apple indie is the person who, it has like the, their one thing that they almost like slavishly work on and develop. And you have like a James Thompson who's worked on PCALC for like timing material. Like, I don't know how long he's been working on that app. 30 years? Just 30. It's, it's, something like that. Yeah. Like it's, it's, and he is like that path. I would be, have lost my mind. Mm. I'm glad it works for him. That's great. But for me, I am always looking and interested in the new thing. And I look f- like I am already in the midst of all of this with Widgetsmith, like the you know biggest app in the, like in the world right now. I'm already starting to think about new apps I want to make, and if anything, the maintenance and the management of Widgetsmith is a burden rather than a blessing. Like I, that's just who I am, and that's right. how I've gotten to be um, to where I am. And it's a it's a situation too where I think it's worth saying that I'm. I feel very grateful for the ability to do what I do. And I think it is largely based on the app store and on Apple and what they do for a developer like me. The fact that I can launch 59 apps over 12 years and I like the, I'm not the infrastructure and everything is in place for me to be able to do that. And they take care of the billing and they take care of all of the things um, that allow a one man shop. Like it's just me in my, you know, like in my basement writing code, I don't have a big infrastructure. I don't have a big staff. It's, that I don't think would be possible in 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 a world that wasn't like the App Store, and it's something that I feel very grateful for. And like sometimes I get to be in my bonnet around all the stuff that's been happening with the App Store and Epic and all the like shenanigans. It's like I'm able to do what I love doing because the App Store is the way it is, and it works for people like me to have just as much standing as all the other apps you just listed in the top ten of the App Store right now. Like I have just as equal, I have just as much sort of claim to that top chart as they do, yeah. and it doesn't matter that they're Google. It doesn't matter that they're Facebook. Like I'm just a guy, but the App Store is a great leveler in that way, and so I feel very grateful for like that Apple has created it and sort of is something that exists for me. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, and it must be gratifying too because the nature of Widget Smith is such that what people are enthusiastic for about it means they they see it all the time. Yeah. Right. It's, it is not like, uh, PCALC. Just, just to toss yeah. out another example. Beloved. I've had, I've been using PCALC, I think for yeah. close, to, if not 30 years, close, certainly close, at least 25. Yeah. Uh, I go days, weeks, maybe even at a time without launching PCALC because I have sure. nothing to calculate. Right. Yeah. Whereas a widget on your home screen. <laughs> There it is on your home yep. screen. And where do people really, if they're really going to spend time to tweak and customize the color and the font and the size and, and you know, sit there and really get in there and, and futz with it, 
where do they want it? They want it on their first home screen, right? Or the second one, the one, you know, where they're going to yeah. see it all the time. So there, you've got this thing that they see all the time, you know, that, yeah. which is super cool. Like put aside just the, uh, you know, the financial aspect of it. Like that's just cool when you realize, holy crap, there are, you know, X thousands of people looking at my thing all day, every day. And it's in the device in their pocket. And it has it has the, the app the name of the app right underneath every widget, <laughs> which is really awesome. <laughs> which is I, I get a lot of requests that I'm like, oh man, can't you hide that? And it's like I a I can't because that's just not the way Apple like has built the widget system. And B, if I could, I would not. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There's the first time you've been a little selfish on the entire <laughs> a little interview. bit, a little bit in this. That's one thing that I am very grateful that every single time I see a screenshot of someone mm. being like, hey, look at this cool thing I did with my home screen. <laughs> There it is. Widget Smith right there. Go to the App Store, search for it and get it, you know. <laughs> it is. It's very cool. It is a very nice way of, uh, you know, people don't have to, you know, they, there's a thing they can search for right there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let me thank our third and final sponsor of the show. It's our good friends at Squarespace. Oh, man. Speaking of customizing your stuff, how about your website? You want to customize your website? Well, if you have a Squarespace website, you can customize everything. You can start with a slew of award-winning templates that are already pre-designed that scale from big 27-inch iMacs all the way down to your phone. And you can customize them any way you want. And just anything you do, you do it right there in the browser. What you see is what you get. As you're designing your website, you're looking at exactly what everybody else will see when they see your website, minus like the edit buttons. That's it. Uh, could not be easier. If you are the sort of nerd who knows what CSS and HTML and JavaScript are, and you want to get in there and mess with the code, you can do that too. But if you don't even know what those things do, what they mean, you don't have to. You'll never see it. That's the the range that Squarespace covers. Everything from registering your domain name to getting your analytics and seeing where and how people are getting to your website and how many people, all of it built into one great, easy-to-use system. Um, they have an offer code, TALKSHOW, just T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W. When you go to the checkout, you get 10% off. You can use that to register for a whole year at a time, save 10% off an entire year. Um, my thanks to Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash talk show. Uh, you get a 30-day free trial. Just remember that code. Go to squarespace.com slash talk show. And remember the code talk show to get 10% off when you do go to pay when your free trial is over. All right. Speaking of the name Widget Smith, uh, for a while, you'd think it would be an original name. For a couple of hours, at least over yeah. the weekend, you could you could find another Widget Smith in the App Store. I wrote about it. Um, yeah. I, I I don't expect you, <laughs> after all of your kind words about the opportunity that the App Store has afforded you, I'm not asking you to to complain, but it's got to be frustrating, yeah. right? That had to be like, oh man. Like if you're, you're, you're set up, you're saying, oh man, Widget Smith is flying high. This is going to come yeah. to an end. One of these days I'm going to be knocked off the number one spot. It's going to happen anyway, right? Yeah. For it to be knocked off the number one spot by a ripoff app. <laughs> it hurts. It hurts. Like, right? There, there, there's, there's no simple way to say it. It's like, it's just, it hurts. Like it was, it was painful to see that 
and if I think that I think that is most hurtful about, I mean, I've had many copycats I've had to kind of like deal with in in the years of the app store. It's like the most hurtful are the ones that are poor knockoffs. Like, yeah, like like it's it's like what you were saying about Arial, right? It right. isn't like it isn't like what, what it, it isn't like knocking me off in a way that it's like taking what I did and doing it better, right? Right. Like I've had like that kind of a scenario. It's more like, oh man, I should have thought of that. Like that feeling is not yeah. great. It's not a nice feeling, but it's like, okay, that's fair. It's like when you're getting ripped off by somebody who it's clearly just, this thing is popular. Let me just grab its name, throw together a few, like a basic app that will get just enough utility to get past app review and throw it in the app store and try and just, it, it's much more like, it feels more like stealing than about like, you know, it being inspired by something or imitating it or those types of, uh, like the more positive versions of like, clearly I'm sure there are countless people making widget apps right now. Right. Like that would be foolish if there weren't, if, if, if you, if you had an idea for one, or you're going to think like, I'm going to cash in on this market. Like, of course people are doing that, but it, it was hurt. It was hurtful. And what was difficult about that one is that it was a, such a poor copy and it wasn't being, it wasn't like hardworking and it wasn't right. thoughtful and clever. And I think that was the part that was like, harmful about it. And I think, I mean, it's like to complain, it's like, certainly I wish that Apple, their infrastructure was such that that didn't happen in the first place, that they caught that kind of thing. And you would, it's like, you got to think there's a way and a mechanism and a business process that they can catch this stuff rather than having it had to always be reported. And I could imagine there's a, there's always going to be situations that fall outside of the like process that they come up with. And there's always going to need to be a report this app system to deal with the cases that for, you know, if you're copying an app that isn't particularly popular, um, like it might not, you know, draw to their attention that there's actually isn't this other app that has the same name or whatever that might be like there. But you got to think that like, if they were thoughtful about the names or the keywords and things like that for the top hundred apps in each of the categories. So that's something like, I mean, like 2,600 apps or something, maybe like it's not an inconceivable number that, that you'd have to wrap your head around and like to be thoughtful and to be protective of those names. Um, like it seems like something that they should be able to do. And I think like, if anything, while I'm frustrated by it, it's like the only thing that I see that's particularly encouraging to me about all of the controversy that we've been dealing with this summer with like the app store and whether there should be a 30% cut and whether there should be alternative app stores and all of these things. Like I take hope in that Apple in the 12 years I've been doing this seems to do their best work when they are under pressure and they have to prove that they're living up to the ideals that they always market themselves as having. And the Apple says the app store is the place you go because of trust and privacy, like, like privacy, trust and trustworthiness are like the things that it's there for. And trustworthiness is a bit in question if you're allowing copycat clone scam apps to exist in your platform. Like that's clearly just problematic for that. And it's, I'm sure Apple was embarrassed that they let this through. And yeah. like my hope is that they actually have pressure now because they keep putting up these like marketing websites that say like the app store is amazing. And I agree. The app store is amazing. I just, you know, like sing its praises a few minutes ago, but now that I think they, the, what I like and what I'm encouraged by is like, they have to prove that now. And so this happened once, like, I don't expect this is going to happen again for Widget Smith. I got to yeah. imagine 
there's someone who got a very stern talking to by somebody who's like, this is embarrassing. Two days before this, we published this whole big new like website on our on apple.com saying how great and trustworthy the app store is. And then this happens two days later. This can never happen again. And that pressure is great. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a good take. And I do think that it is, it's an interesting way to keep them on competitive, on their competitive toes as they have less competition directly, at least that they're not an underdog. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I don't want to definitely don't want to devolve this into an argument over a monopoly, what the word monopoly sure. means. Um, but there is less competition in the phone space, right? Like, you yeah. know, you're, you're talking about developing on the platform for 12 years. We're, we're old enough now where for us, 12 years doesn't seem like that long, right? For my son, sure. who's in 11th grade, it seems like he probably barely remembers or doesn't remember yeah. what it was like before iPhones. Um, but I remember when it, when the iPhone was new and felt, I felt even before it came out, just in that wild, crazy interim where Apple had announced it at Macworld, but it wasn't even shipping until June. Uh, it, it was a wild time. And I thought, this is a surefire hit. This is going to be great. I cannot wait for this. And I remember thinking, they're going to do apps. There's a famous, not famous, famous to me, but like Merlin Mann was doing podcasts on the Macworld show floor and grabbed me and yep. Jason Snell and interviewed us on the, it was like a 10 minute podcast. And Jason Snell and I, like Merlin asked us if we thought they were going to have apps and we didn't even think about that at the time. And within like five or six minutes, Snell and I had talked ourselves into, uh, yeah, they're going to do apps. There's going to be apps eventually. Like it has to be. And it's, it's a great five minutes of podcasting because it was like an hour after the thing had been unveiled to the world. Um, but at the time there were, you know, the palm was still real and, and they eventually came out with the, Palm Pre, which was a great platform, and unfortunately yeah, too late. Right? It did. did you really? I did. That I was loved my first, it. My first job. My first job when I was in high school was making apps for the Palm Five and the Palm. Uh, Pre. but that's not the Palm Pre. You know, I, I also made apps for the Palm Pre, but oh, okay. Well, it was. I loved you know, and it, it, BlackBerry was still a thing, and they had apps, and nobody knew, and and Nokia tried to get you know, it was all up in the air whether we were going to settle on. A monopoly, a duopoly, yeah. a triopoly, you know, with this, all, yeah. was mobile maybe going to be yeah. different? You know, you had like, like po- you had Pocket PC, right? At Microsoft right. was getting into the, the sort of the space right. with Pocket PC and for, for a, you know, about 15 years, you know, from the early yeah. 90s until the mid 2000s when we called the non phone one PDAs and it was a separate yeah. category, but it, you know, clearly was meant to converge there were never a dominant platform you know and you never no. knew and you know we've settled into a thing and it's probably the way most markets settle in where there's fewer competitors than not but something has to keep apple on its competitive toes right yeah. otherwise complacency is inevitable and and i think that the pressure on the app store the upside to it is i agree with you completely that it's a way to to inspire apple to up its game across the board with everything related to the app store, even if nothing changes regulatory or legal wise as to yeah. what they're required to do. Yeah. That that pressure and that sense of like, you can't be an underdog when you're the biggest company in the world, 
but you can still feel like you have to prove yourself. Yeah. And that desire is only good right. um, and only positive. And if Apple continues to hold themselves to high standards and then the world holds them to those, like that's that's a great situation for for Apple and for the world. Yeah, I, I, I when I was in high school, I was a huge Larry Bird fan, and I and I devoured his autobiography after he retired. And he talked about how he he was in. And if you search YouTube for like uh, Larry Bird trash talking, he's like widely regarded as, as both one of the greatest basketball players of all time, but almost certainly the greatest trash talker of all time. Yeah. And he said in his book that he did it because he felt he need he'd be playing and he'd realize he'd look at the other team's lineup and realize that there he knew in his heart there was nobody on their team who could cover him, nobody who he really respected as his peer as a player. Like okay, if he's playing the Lakers and Magic Johnson's on the other team, or he's playing the Bulls and young Michael Jordan is on the other team, and he could tell how good Jordan was going to be. Sure, yeah. or Dr. J, you know, any of those classic players. That he is. Sure, he had no problem getting fired up. But he's playing, I don't know, Denver Nuggets, you know, and it's like, ah, sure. you know, who knows? Uh, he, he'd, he'd fire himself up by going over to the other bench before the game and picking out who's going to cover him and say, like, you better not, hope the hope, hope they don't put you on me because I'm going to torch you. And yeah. he just say that to fire himself up. Sure. I, I feel like you need to do something like that when you're on top, you know, yeah. and, and I don't he think it's follow through. He's embarrassing himself. Yeah. So I don't think Apple's going to trash talk. <laughs> <laughs> no. But they need to do something inside the locker room effectively. You know, like that's the other thing with sports is a, most players don't say things inflammatory because they don't want the other team to put the quote up on the chalkboard or the whiteboard. I guess they have now, you know, hey, this guy on the other yeah. team said we can't pitch, you know, well, yeah. how do you feel about it? You know, and it fires you up. Apple kind of needs to do that. Like these people say they're not, you know, developers say they're they're not getting value from the app store. Let's prove them wrong. Yeah. And I think that's that's good for everybody. Yeah, and then but my last the last thing on the ripoff story is just that so many people, whenever these things come up, say, "Well, what do you what do you expect Apple to do?" Even the richest company in the world, there's if there's a hundred thousand new apps coming or updates coming through the App Store every week, and there's over a million apps in the App Store, how can they possibly compare every single app against every other one? That's not how you would police it. That that makes no sense. It's you you start with the most popular apps. Right. And so like yeah. if the 57,263rd most popular app gets ripped off, that shouldn't happen. It, there should be an, a, a, a good way for the, the rightful developer of that app, 53,000 levels down in the popularity chart to, to register the complaint when they notice it and have it taken care of in a fair and judicious manner. But in terms of like catching this stuff before it even happens, starting with the most popular apps would be the way to go. Cause who did, why would you want to rip off the 53,000th most yeah. popular app? Right. Whereas maybe the most popular app, number one, maybe sure. <laughs> you'd want to rip off. Yeah. There's a value in that that is right. tangible and real and obvious. Uh, so that, that would be my argument against why we should expect better from Apple. All right. Last segment, I want to talk about sleep tracking. Yeah. Now, you have an app, Sleep Plus Plus. Merlin Mann, speaking of Merlin Mann, uh, he was on the show uh, about a year ago and turned me on to sleep tracking. And I don't know how, you know, this is typical of when Merlin's on the show. I have no idea how we got there. And it sure. seemed bizarre to me. This just seemed, again, like with the breathe thing, I don't know. It doesn't seem like something. I, I go to sleep when I'm tired. I wake up 
when I'm when I wake up. Yeah. Um, Merlin said I should, I, I, I guess I'd been having some sleep problems, which is rare for me. Usually I sleep yeah. like a baby. He said, you should get uh sleep plus plus. Uh, I got the sleep plus plus. This was not, it, you know, a year ago, the IO or watch OS didn't have built-in sleep tracking, but it, no. uh, but sleep plus plus could track your sleep. Uh, yeah. and there are other sleep tracking apps, uh, I enjoy. I stuck with it. I still do it to this day. I enjoy it. Uh, I do notice some trends. I don't really have any sleep problems, but I enjoy it. Uh, I don't really understand how it works now, and I need you. I need you to explain explain it to me. So you're asking like how WatchOS seven sleep tracking? Well, works? I start with how did how did it work? How did Sleep Plus Plus track my sleep before WatchOS seven? Sure. So the way so Sleep Plus Plus. Originally, I used to use do kind of like this thing where on the watch you would like start a you would say when you went to bed and say when you um, woke up like you had to physically tap a button on the on the watch and that was because of a few if you did that it meant that I could access kind of they had this power efficient way of showing me um, your motion during the night and I could use that to kind of infer uh, roughly how well you slept and I knew the duration of your sleep because you said. You know, I just went, I went to bed, I just, I'm going to bed and you tap it when you wake up. Um, and that works well and probably in some ways gives you more accurate data. But for most people, they don't want to have the last thing they do before they go to bed is hitting a button on their watch. And the first thing they do when they wake up is to hit another button. So it doesn't really scale very well. And so instead, what eventually I did is I worked out a way to like an Apple watch when it's attached to attached to your wrist is always collecting a variety of sort of health and fitness metrics. So it's always collecting your step count. So it's trying to estimate essentially, does it seem like you're walking? And if you are walking, you know, how many steps have you taken? It's also collecting your active calories, which is what is shown in the red ring um, of your, you know, in the activity app. Um, And it's about every six minutes or so, it'll take a heart rate reading um, assuming your wrist is still and is, um, you know, close enough, like the, the watch is snug enough to your wrist that it can get a, get a reading. It'll record one about every six minutes. And essentially what I did is I used those three metrics to be able to pretty accurately estimate when it seems like you're in bed and it's to seem like when you are awake and, and moving. And, you know, a lot of that's just a bit of clever heuristics and looking at the data. And, you know, for a while I had um, the years of the time that I'd been recording all these nights for myself using the old version where I was like manually starting and stopping. And I could use that to kind of build my model um, that Sleep Plus Plus is based on. And I would use that, you know, I can use that data to infer things about your night. Um, I personally, it's like, as far as I can tell, any app that tries to tell you like in in very great detail the sleep stages you're in and all the kind of deep sleep analysis stuff based on just automatic sleep tracking on an Apple watch. Like I'm a little suspect. I don't really see that as something that's possible with what that data is, but it's definitely possible to be able to identify when you're asleep and roughly, are you sleeping well or not? Like, are you restless or are you awake? Are you, you know, every time you get up to use the bathroom in the night, you're going to take steps. And so I can say, Oh, it looks like you're taking steps clearly you're not, you know, you're not walking, unless you're sleepwalking, like you're not, you're, you're, you're awake. And so that's what sleep plus plus does to sort of create that model and to get the data. And then once you have the data, then it's just the fun part of 
showing it in ways that are useful, trying to show you trends, trying to give you a sense of your habits and your patterns. Um, because sleep is kind of a weird health metric because you can't change it as easily as you can for a lot of things. Like if you're trying to close your ex- exercise ring, you can go for a walk. You, if, you ha- if you're trying to hit 10,000 steps, you can go for a walk. You can do things in a proactive way. But like saying, telling someone you're not sleeping enough, like there's, there's things they could do to influence that. But if they're a new, like if they're a new parent, like what (laughs) are they going to do? Like, I'm sorry. Like I I have a newborn who wakes me up every two hours. Yes. I'm sleep deprived. And like, I can measure that for you. But mostly what I can do is just give you a sense of when you wake up in the morning and you're like, I am a wreck. Like, why am I? And you look at the thing and it's like, yeah, that's because you slept three hours last night. Like that's a useful bit of information that I can at least affirm you with. But, you know, sleep tracking is weird in that way. And I think that's led to why Apple's implementation of sleep tracking is so weird. Mm. So that's a good example to me of like the difference between a heuristic and an algorithm. Which yeah. I guess the line is usually kind of fuzzy, you know, where, where does an algorithm turn into a heuristic? But like inferring when you sleep from a bunch of data that isn't really directly measuring sleep is, you know, that, that's a heuristic where you yeah. could be wrong. Um, yeah, I would have never used it in the first place if I had to start and stop it automatically. Sure. It's, it's just, I just wouldn't remember to do it. And it's like, you know, and I wouldn't remember, I wouldn't remember to, I don't know which end of the sleep I'd be less likely to remember. I guess at some point during the day, I'd remember, oh, I woke up and I guess I could go back. But yeah, especially the going to sleep part, it's like the whole point of going to sleep is, oh, I'm fading off here. You know, I'm yeah. falling asleep. I better turn out the, put the iPad down and just close my eyes. It's like, yeah. I, I don't remember anything. Um, so I, <laughs> I you know that I use the app because I've sent sure. you feedback over the last you do, year. <laughs> including <laughs> features. My, my quotes were my quotes were wrong in one point. Uh, I yeah. miscapitalized a word, I believe. Well, uh, well, and the big one was uh, uh, up till four in the morning. It, you would get it would classify yeah. like if I went, if I fell asleep at three in the morning. Yeah, it would count as last. You know, wouldn't say technically by the by the book that's uh, Tuesday or Wednesday yeah. morning, but you would classify it as Tuesday night. And I yeah. I would write to you and complain when I went to bed at like four fifteen <laughs> that it was yeah. being put into yeah, my, the wrong. My, day. my cutoff for the previous night's cut like was it was two was two or it was it was apparently not generous enough that in my mind people falling asleep at four fifteen are not considering that the night before sleep but uh, apparently I was wrong on that one. <laughs> uh, so it, I've I've been a big fan, but what now? I watchOS seven officially supports sleep tracking yeah. at the system level. How what is new? From the system level, and yeah. what's new from you for you as a, is this conducive to to sleep plus plus or is this sort of uh, sleep plus plus has sort of been Sherlocked? So that question is the easier one. So sleep plus plus's downloads have been up since WatchOS seven hmm. came out. So it's clearly not, like if it's Sherlocked, it's Sherlocked in the best way possible. That right. is involving more people downloading it. Where it's if Apple, if anything, Apple has created awareness that right. sleep tracking is a thing you want to use your watch for, which previously I had to convince people that that was possible and that they should try and like charge your watch when you're showering so that <laughs> you can wear it overnight. Like I had to kind of 
do that kind of messaging and convince people that like, well, I charge my watch overnight. If I don't charge it overnight, when my, when am I ever going to have my watch charged? And right. you quickly realize that if you charge it, like when you're getting ready in the morning and before you're getting ready for bed, it's very easy to typically like for a normal person to have um, your watch charged. But I think what's tr- Apple doing it is just what's tricky about it is they're, I think they're limited by the battery life of the Apple watch in the level of analysis and detail that they can pull out of you while you're sleeping that for all their fit, like the, their fancy algorithms and for all they're trying to do, like their machine learning and it's, you know, sure second to none. But the reality is they're still only collecting motion data, heart rate every six sec, every six minutes. And that's it. Like if you imagine the sensors that are active during the night, and I suppose they could potentially be using the microphone. I'm not sure about that, but, um, there's a, there's a limit to what they can do with that. And so I, they, they, I think decided early on, it seems, or at least at this point is they're not going down the road of clinical analysis of your sleep. Mm. They're not trying to, um, so in my, in my development work for sleepless plus for a while, I was wearing a variety of like dedic more dedicated sleep tracking devices. And there are ones that do continuous heart rate monitoring throughout the night. And so this is, you know, essentially the, the mode that your watch is in when you're running a workout, it's running a mode like that continuously. And so it's having, it's, it's tracking your heart rate, you know, multiple times per second. And if with that kind of data, if you have continuous heart rate data, you can really start to get into the weeds potentially about sleep stages. And, you know, REM, REM sleep has a different heart rate and respiratory rate, um, than slow wave sleep or than light sleep, or they can very, easily tell when you're awake and when you're asleep because motion is a pretty bad metric for awake and asleep. Because if you're lying in bed reading, and especially if you're reading on something like an iPad where you don't have to move your wrist to turn the page, like you could very easily be lying in bed completely still, um, but be completely awake. And there's no way for the watch to know that other than heart rate because your heart rate goes down when you fall asleep. Right. Um, and I think because Apple doesn't want to, they don't have the battery budget to run the heart rate data all night long. They are limited in kind of mostly they can just do the kind of things I do in Sleep Plus Plus, where they can say you went to, it seems like you slept about this long and you were generally asleep in ways that we can be confident about, about this often. And I think that's meant that they instead, rather than being a clinical approach with sleep tracking, they're going the behavioral model for sleep tracking. And they're just trying to do all the things that they can say. It's like, we're going to influence, you can, you know, make good make good choices to help you wind down and kick off this shortcut an hour. You know, it's, it's now it's time for wind down and you'll get a little like tap on your wrist and say, Hey, you said you wanted to go to bed at 10 o'clock. It's nine fifths, nine thirty. Maybe you should, you know, calm down. Would you like to listen to some calm music? <laughs> like, like they're going down that road where it's, it's yeah. very much like this behavioral modification version of sleep tracking, which I think makes sense because of the data they have and because of what they could show you, they can't, they don't, they don't want to overpromise and say that it's a really powerful sleep tracker because it isn't. There are better sleep trackers out there. If you actually are like, if you have sleep apnea and need to track your sleep in great detail, the Apple Watch is not the device for you. But what they're saying is the sleep, hopefully the Apple Watch ends with sleep tracking on the Apple Watch and watch OS 7. It'll encourage you to sleep more and to have better sleep sort of patterns and hygiene that you're going to turn off your phone earlier and you're going to, to go to bed at a more consistent time, which are the actual changes that you can actually make to your sleep. You know, you can't change if your kid wakes you up in the night, but you can certainly like 
turn off the turn off your phone an hour before you go to bed and not just like stay up late reading um Twitter or watching movies like that's a choice that you can make and so they can encourage you there but like and then, and then for for the actual data perspective like my model gets a little bit better because now they're also recording the Apple Watch records when it thinks I'm asleep and so that is a confirmation or a adjustment that I can feed into my model because if I didn't think you were awake but the Apple Watch does think you're awake there's a very good chance they're right and I'm wrong because they're operating at a much lower level um even if not with necessarily like way more data they have they definitely have a better amount of data and certainly you know better machine learning and you know a giant team of data scientists I'm sure who've like finely tuned their model I'm just like a guy in my basement writing codes so <laughs> you know you got to imagine their data is better than mine so my model got better in watchOS 7 but for people who just want to track their trends and get a sense of like, when do I go to bed on Tuesday nights? Like the health app is like hopeless for that kind of stuff. And right. so Sleepless Plus is an app that is useful for everybody, even if they do have watchOS 7 and use the system sleep tracking. Right. Like maybe Tuesday nights is your basketball league line or your volleyball and you exercise it, but it's, you know, it's for working professionals and you play late games and you, you're exercising late in the day. And oh wow, look at that! I, every Tuesday night, I actually wind up sleeping earlier because I did yeah. this exercise, even though it was later at night, or maybe vice versa. Maybe you come home and you're excited because you were, you know, one way or the other, you might notice yeah. a trend. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I kept up with it. I, I honestly, I enjoy it, and uh, you know, I don't. It's just interesting to me, and I did notice some trends. You know, I I don't know if it's because of it. I, I have been going to bed earlier. I'm I'm looking at my last seven days. I'm nowhere close to four a.m. So, sure, that's good. I don't need to like undo the John Gruber feature where I no. think I push that to six a.m. No, but uh, it is interesting, and I'm glad to hear it. You know that it's like raise the awareness. Um, I find it fascinating to do it. Uh, and it, I think like with all of the Apple Watch sensors, I'm not sure any one of them is more accurate than a dedicated sensor, right? Like no. the pedometer aspect is pretty close in my opinion. Like the times where I've actually like, like at Disney World or something, like I haven't done it in years because it's guy just it was too accurate, but like where you could go on Google Maps and measure a long walk yeah. and see what the watch said. The watch was accurate enough where I I don't know that any kind of pedometer would be more accurate. But like yeah. for all most of the sensors, sure, you're gonna get a more accurate blood oxygen level from a dedicated blood oxygen sensor than the one on the watch, but it's good to have it on the watch, right? Yeah. And and I think with that it's it's what the value of the sensors on the Apple Watch is their sort of the fact that they're ha- always happening in the background and you don't have to think about it. You don't have to go and look. And like, if you had a blood oxygen sensor, you could have one of those little like finger clippy things that you picked up at CVS pharmacy. Like you'd have to go and remember to use it regularly for that data to be useful. Whereas what the Apple watch is doing is it's always, it's it's just always on in the background. There's like this ephemeral data collection that you can then go back and look at. And that's, I think, where it becomes really powerful. It isn't that it's the best at any one of those things necessarily. Like I think of, you know, in the way that Apple would say that they have the best camera 
in the world. Right. Like they would like, I think that's just a comment that they would say, and they really mean it. Like that when they say like yeah. they're the best camera company in the world, like they mean it. Right. And I don't think they would say that they are the best sleep tracker in the world. And if they right. do, they're being a bit disingenuous because right. a dedicated, you know, a device that is doing huge amounts of things. And it's probably like, you know, the size of a small iPad that you have to like strap to your head. Like that's probably going to be able to get more data out of it, but it's a good device. It can give you enough data to encourage behavioral change and to give you awareness because like, I think to you, what you were saying, it's like, you don't know why you do it, but you still kept up with it with sleep tracking. It's what I've seen time and time again from customers is it's just making some, making you aware of something that you otherwise would never be aware of because you're never going to like write down every morning when you wake up, when did I go to bed? When did I wake up? And just keep track of it. Yeah. Like you're never going to do that. So it's never going to be a data that you can be aware of. And so once it's something that is measurable and is measurable in a way that is ephemeral, that you don't have to do any work for, you just, if all you have to, the only work you have to do to be to, to track your sleep with sleep with a Apple watch is make sure that it's charged before you go to sleep. And you just get into a few habits with that of charging it and you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and once you've done that, now that data is there and you don't have to check in on it all the time. Like if you didn't open sleep plus plus for, you know, three weeks and then you open it again, I'll still have all the data that has been collected during that period. And it's available to you. And if you're curious about it or you just, it becomes a thing that you're aware of and it helps you make choices that are like, there's it's like, it's not like it's punitive, but like if you don't get a lot of sleep, you know, the, the, the line in sleep plus plus that was that night will turn, you know, a subtle shade of red and yeah. it'll be like, Hey, maybe that wasn't so good. Yeah. And it's not going to be mean about it. Like, it, but it's just saying, Hey, that's a choice. You, you know, like a situation you found yourself in and it could be better. And that's because don't, you don't have to think about it. Don't eat great. three slices of pepperoni pizza at 1230. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, don't I, do that. I will say the other thing I got confused about upgrading to, I watch OS seven, which I did by starting with this new review unit watch was I went through, like I said, I set up the defaults and the default, you know, I was interested in the sleep tracking feature and they were like, do you want to track your sleep? And it's like, okay. And it's like, what time do you usually go to bed? And you put it in. And then all of a sudden without really asking for it, I was set up with the, Hey, it's an hour from now. You want to go to bed. Do you want to start winding down? And it like locks your phone out. And it's like, I I don't want this. I find it patronizing. I'm a grown man. I don't need to be told to go to bed. And again, if you like the feature, maybe, you know, maybe you do need it. Maybe you get distracted and you're, you know, you play video games late at night and it's helpful for you to, to have your watch say, Hey, Maybe you should go to bed and you'd lost track of time. I'm not saying, yeah. you know, I don't want to be too judgmental about it, but I hate the feature. Sure. Um, but I also feel like part of that is Apple's desire to save battery life because you yeah. go into that sleep mode on the new, on watch OS seven and it turns the always on display off and you have yeah. to tap it to see something. And you can see why <laughs> Apple as a company that wants to both encourage people who are interested to wear their watch all night but also doesn't want people to feel like now they don't know when to charge it to encourage them to use a mode where the screen goes completely off, even with a quote unquote, always on display. Yeah. And I think it's that sleep like mode. I mean, previously I've always had to just put it in, like I got into the habit. I always flipped my watch into theater mode. Right. um, Like when I got into bed, because that was just the way you had to do it before. Right. Um, but like what's weird with the sleep mode is the way that Apple tries to schedule it and have it be this automatic thing where like I find it kind of annoying where like it also it turns off the sleep mode in the morning based on the time that you said that you typically wake up. Yeah. And I've definitely had times when I've like 
you know, like I've, I'm sleeping in for whatever reason, like I went to bed late or I was up in the night with a kid or whatever it is. And I'm, I feel like I've been woken up by the bright light of the always, you know, like yeah. my new Apple watch has a very bright, always yeah. on display, which <laughs> they talked all about it in the thing. Like it's twice as bright or three times as bright or whatever it is. Like that's, they are true. Cause in a dark room, it has woken me up <laughs> and it's like, that is not, an, I did not set an alarm. I did not want this bright blaring light to be like, you know, I'm from my wrist as I'm like lying, you know, my arms next to me on the pillow. Like, and so I, I wish that was, they, they didn't quite go down that road of it being so scheduled. And yeah, so yeah. like, it's like, no, when I go to bed, I'll hit the button. I'm in a dark room. It's going to be very obvious that I have not put yeah. it in sleep mode yet. And in the morning when I wake up, it's going to be very obvious when I look for the time and my screen is black and yeah. raise, turning my wrist, it still is black. I'm going to remember to turn off sleep mode. And so I think that's like, I've turned almost all of that off at this point for myself. Yeah. Like I had it on just so I'd know how it worked, but for myself, I've turned it all off and I just manually put it in sleep mode and manually take it out of sleep mode in the morning. Yeah, that's what I do too. And the only thing I automate is I automate do not disturb, which sure. is what I've been doing ever since it was a feature. What I say, just don't send me notifications between this hour and that hour. But then other than that, I, I manage it manually. Um, yeah. Yeah, and God help you. I mean, the worst, uh, only thing worse than you're always on Series Six bright display waking you up in the middle of the night is waking up whoever you are in bed with. Yes, that would. It's it's not what you want, it's right? Like, no, why it's, is there a bee? Why is there this beaming like beacon of light stuck in our bed? This is not. This is this is not not sustainable. It is. It is an inner. But it's it's always like be careful what you wish for. It's like I've been yeah. clamoring for an always on display since the very first watch. I spend an embarrassing amount of my Series Zero watch review complaining about yeah. the fact that the display isn't always on. And I thought it was nothing but upside once they get the yeah. battery life to the point. And then I went to bed with a very bright watch and I was like, oh, <laughs> there is a downside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, for sure. Well, you have been extremely generous with your time in an extraordinarily busy week. Uh, sure. And it was, but what a great time to have you on the show for the first time, David. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, so. Your apps. What, I mean, 59 apps. We can't talk about all of them, but there's Widget Smith and Watch Smith and Sleep Plus Plus, which we've mentioned. Any other apps you want to toss out there? I think the only other app that I think is like that's been a, a sort of a standby for me for many years is Pedometer Plus Plus, which is my yeah. step counting app. And I feel like those four Widget Smith, Watch Smith, Sleep, Sleep Plus Plus, and Pedometer Plus Plus, that's like, that's my business at this point. Those yeah. are the, the ones that have survived out of the 59. Yeah. You know what? And speaking about, you know, you said how you did a calendar app and that helped you with Widget Smith. Being so yeah. it, it hooked into the health system had to have been a huge leg up oh, because sure. that's just not, not Apple's fault. It, it is complicated because it has to be complicated for privacy reasons alone, right? Yes. It yeah. is, it is one of the more, sort of convoluted systems if for a good reason. And I think it's, right. they do a really good job of making it usable, but also, yeah, there are a lot of weird edge cases in the health right. system that yeah. I've spent a lot of time and a right. lot of gray hairs on. Right. With pedometer plus and uh, gray hairs plus plus. plus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, podcast wise, you do have a podcast with Marco Arment under the radar which yep. you can you can search for in your podcast app of choice, uh, which is probably overcast. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, and it will probably show up as the number one hit and not number two <laughs> from an app called Under the or a podcast called Under the Radar yeah. Color Podcasts. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, thank you so much for being here. What else? Oh, of course, Twitter. You are underscore David Smith. Where, I am. Where the underscore is an actual underscore. Yep. Um, <laughs> it reminds. Have you ever seen? There's an old. Uh, uh, I think it was McSweeney's Internet Tendencies, where it was like ten worst email addresses in history to read over the phone. Oh, I think I've seen this kind of thing. Yeah, where it's certain certain punctuations and things, or like, is <laughs> right. it actually a word or is it a right. number? Is it's it? a mixture of like you know u n d e r s c o r e yeah. underscore. But then you know, anyway, I'll put it in the show notes. I swear. Yeah. <laughs> it occurred to me whether whether or not your underscore in underscore David Smith is an underscore or the the word, but yeah, people will find you anyway. Thank you so much. It has oh, been, been an absolute pleasure, delight. John.